to the uh all right now we're live do your thing morning guys welcome to red morning saturday morning i hope you guys are either hungover or <laughs> you're smart and you don't drink and get laid on friday nights by smart i mean not smart i really didn't plan this i need to get a script for these starters <laughs> anyways great special guest for you guys today this here joe d you may not have heard of him but i guarantee you he's heard of you he's been around this space longer than me i think what was it 2003 you started wasn't it joe um or no like 1997 you were saying 97 98 when i got going in the uh yeah yeah so it turns out just like wine more please we got joe d here best guys you've never heard of and topic for today is going to be a year back on building a brand kind of expanded the theme a little bit so it's not just branding and entrepreneurship or whatever you want to call it but also like general building your finances for your future because i know carl and i have been doing that topic for like the last two weeks but hmm. it's just so damn good and it's so damn deep but anyways joe right. how you doing i'm doing good good morning all right i guess give these guys in the chat uh an introduction because i guarantee you if they're like a chick you're at the bar picking them up they're gonna think who the fuck are you <laughs> well uh let's see <laughs> Jesus. hey guys can i get your opinion <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to my friends in a minute. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Now, so, uh, yeah, I've been in this game for since, yeah, 97, 98 when I joined the military and uh, I had some natural wings and we were always going out partying and doing all that stuff. And then, uh, like a dumbass, got married. So then I took me out of the game for a while. And then when I got back into the game, being a guy in IT, he's like, well, shit, I don't have any single friends. What do I do? How do I break the ice? Well, I just go on Google and type out, how do you break the ice? And this would have been 07 ish. And at the time, the game and pickup and all that was all the rage. And everybody kept telling me, go read the game. Go read the game. Like, this isn't what I want. I just want to learn how to say hello and get over approach anxiety, which at the time, I didn't know what that was. Yeah. So because back when I was going out with my buddies and all the naturals and all that, they lined them up. I knocked them down. I had, I guess what you would call comfort game. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I was really good at it. So he would do all the approach and he'd bring the girls over or we'd go over to them. And he did, he had no approach anxiety at all. He just, like I said uh, yesterday, uh, he could walk into a bar. We'd be, you know, navigating through the crowd, sliding past people, and he just boom, make out. Like how the hell did he do that? <laughs> so Dude, he should start a consultancy right now. I guarantee he'd clean up in this space. <laughs> probably. So this was yeah, this was like 10, 11 years ago, right? No, Jesus, no, my God, getting old, twenty something, Jesus. Oh man, time's flying. That's so, yeah. Fine. Yeah, so that's what we did. We go out partying every weekend and uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, he moved away. I ended up getting married. I was out of the game for several years. And uh, when I was trying to get back into it, like being single again, I was like, well, shit, what do I do? So I go on the internet. I Google it. Everybody's telling me about the game. I read it. And some of the stuff was actionable. Some of the stuff was just, it's a good read. It was entertaining. So yeah. I would recommend the book only for that, mainly for that reason alone. But there's some stuff you might be able to draw out of it. And then I kind of fell into that community just trying to like learn and learn and learn and learn. And I did reasonably well. I learned really quickly, actually, mm -hmm. um, and became proficient. And then uh, right around 2009 is when I started mentoring in uh, my local area. And a lot of it was just you started your own lair. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the, don't call it that because it is kind of fucking cringy. <laughs> it is. But back then we didn't know what we were doing. It was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we had like the DC lair is what it was called, I think, on online or something like the attraction vault or something. I forget. None of the links are working. It was all 
we were dumbasses just trying to make, find our footing and navigate in a world where we lacked good mentors to you know figure all the stuff out. Everything we learned is stuff that 40, 50 years ago, our dads or an older brother would have taught us anyways. Right. How to navigate dating and relationships, how to get over our approach anxiety and just go talk to girls. And that's what it all came down to was I'd say 80 to 90% of like quote unquote pickup is bunk. You don't need it. These are guys looking for magic bullets that they, they're looking for the easy way. There is no easy way. You just got to put in the time, do the approaches, get over your, your own approach anxiety. I call it self-sabotage, but yeah. Yeah. You got to give yourself permission to go out there and have fun. But when it comes to branding and all this, this is only actually relatively recent for me. Um, I tried my hand doing a photography business and videography studio. Didn't really work out. Learned some lessons from that. And my, uh, my New Year's resolution for 2020 was to learn how to YouTube. <laughs> but, so I've got a, a collection of information, uh, life advice, experience, this, that, and the other. And one of the focuses of my channel is, well, one, it's finance. Two, it's expressing my my experiences, both good and bad, so people can learn from my experience and avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. And that's yeah, one of the things I've seen. A lot of guys don't yeah. do the, this is what I did that I screwed up with. Everybody always wants to be the coolest guy in the room all the time. Their yeah. bravado is annoying. Well, the problem I see also is on the other side of that where guys will learn from others' mistakes, mm -hmm. and then they never go out and try shit on their own, so they're also never going to replicate the successes. I've got to <laughs> You got to put yourself out there and at least try and risk failure. Otherwise, you're never going to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, you can also say, well, this guy did this. That worked great. So maybe I'll try that. Or this guy did this and it was just a catastrophe. So I'll avoid that. That's the kind of like it's the Bruce Lee approach. You know, adopt what is useful, reject what is useless, and then add what is you know, uniquely your own. And that's kind of been my life story for all of this from finance talking to girls, all that shit. You know, one thing that's been hilarious about like the, the red pill space and the guys who moved on past pickup, the majority of guys were either military lawyers or doctors. I found the ones that succeed that succeeded. Well, obviously, yeah, the ones that succeeded, the ones that stick yeah. around, but cause everything, I don't know what it is about those three occupations that they put you in the best position to get screwed over and the best position to have the guts to step up and learn from it. I don't know what else, what else I can describe to it. I have a theory. Ooh, let's hear it. Guys in those occupations have to be self-starters and disciplined. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in those occupations. They've already got the mental fortitude to see it through. Interesting. I mean, I'll take that fluffing. Come Navy, so any chance to call me a hard worker, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I'm in IT, so it's it, it's kind of the opposite. That's what we were talking about before. IT is the number one occupation that I've seen from all the guys I've mentored. There's hmm. something about the mentality of guys that need help that overlaps, that correlates with the IT field and gamers and nerds in general. And a lot of that, I think, just comes down to being, I don't want to say that they're antisocial, but those are good, it's a good career for those who aren't socially savvy. Right. Because you're not interacting with a lot of people, you're interacting with equipment, hey, hardware, yeah. software. So maybe there's there's a definite, there's a distinct correlation there, for sure. <laughs> so, but getting right. back to your, your original question was uh, branding. How did I get into all this? Yeah. Actually, here quickly, just before you start, yep. Ryan Sullivan, thanks for the $2 super chat. Good morning to you as well. And Return of the Mac, yeah, we're going to be adding those in after. So right now, just listen oh, up. We're yeah. talking about everything we need to know about Joe. We'll hook up all the links. You're going to find out a lot of who he is. So don't worry. Hold on to your butts, kids. Anyways, I interrupted. Please continue. Oh, 
yeah, so uh, a few years ago, I tried the uh, the videography thing. Didn't really work out. I had, was lined up to do a music video. That was going to be my big break, right? Hmm. The damn band broke up like a month really? before. Yeah. God damn like, it, Yoko. <laughs> yeah, it happens. So I'm just impressed there was a band. I haven't heard of a new band in forever. Everybody's yeah, one one now like one-man shows. Yeah, no, it was a local band here in uh, where I live. So, Oh, that's kind of cool. Well, yeah, see, a funny thing. I was thinking about you talking about that, the people willing to go out and do things. Yep. So my entire life, I thought it would be awesome to start a business. I think it'd be very cool. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of running your own thing. I like every time I'm in an organization, there's always a bunch of stuff that I'm like, why is this not getting fixed? And everybody just kind of gives you that it is what it is. I know you've heard that saying before. It is what right. it is. And so the problem was I didn't know what to do. 20 years, I've been thinking, I don't know what to do. And then finally... I actually got laid off my one job. They stock price took a huge tumble. So they had to lay off a bunch of people, laid me off. And I'm like, well, I already got my war chest. Why not start now? And it was literally that just, well, I got free time, free money, might as well do it. And the things that I learned just from starting, like you said, I want to be a YouTuber. I did the same thing. All I did was get on and start putting on videos and they absolutely sucked. Every <laughs> single one. I mean, they still suck, but they suck way less. <laughs> And a lot of it, you're right, is just going in there and learning it the hard way. Because I had people mm -hmm. giving me advice left, right, and center, and maybe 30% of it was applicable. Like little things I didn't know. For example, I thought, I didn't know in YouTube, the tags, when you put those in the videos, YouTube doesn't care. They care mm -hmm. about the title. They care about the first 140 characters of the description bar. Mm -hmm. And then the rest is just the thumbnail and the click-through ratio. So if your yep. thumbnail isn't the kind of one that at least 10% of people who see it will click on it, then your video just dies. Just a stillbirth. Yep. Well, one thing I also learned too, just actually going through the numbers like you were saying uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. So the click-through rate right now is somewhere around five, five and a half percent. So I've got another guy doing all, redoing all my thumbnails because God knows they suck. I was doing this in MS Paint. <laughs> I, I don't know Photoshop. And I talked about this in one of the videos where it's that uh, the, the efficiency of time, time wasters. Right. It's more efficient for me to pay somebody a dollar a thumbnail to go do it than for me to actually spend hours on end learning Photoshop. It's that that uh, that return on investment. For me, it's just not worth it, in my opinion. For somebody else who's just starting out who may not have uh, free cash flow oh, yeah. to throw at that, yeah, then something like that. Conversely, there's low hanging fruit you can do that will save you money. And this is the Pinterest example. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, his girlfriend at the time, she's like, oh, man, I like this Pinterest thing. I can go out and make this myself. But by the time she goes to Michael's and buys the, the, the gear, puts in the time to learn how to use it, buys all the supplies, what she was going to originally, she could have bought on Etsy for like 50 bucks. It's now cost her $130. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. So those little things like that are what you got to be mindful of. Time wasters. It's one thing to invest in yourself and learn a skill. But if it's a one-off, or if it's a, it's not going to have that huge return on the investment, that is it really worth it? So something to think about in that sense. Yeah, which is true. But yeah, it was funny. And then yeah. uh, I guess you don't have an email list then, do you? No, I don't. So it's funny. That was one of the first suggestions I got that made sense. And it came hmm. right off the end of, I can't remember if it was uh, Gavin McInnes or somebody had just got canceled. Oh, I think Alex Jones, maybe. Remember that where they dropped yep. his PayPal, dropped his Stripe, dropped everything? Yep. So somebody brought up the good point that for a lot of guys in this space, if your opinion is a little bit too outside of the norm and it has a potential to cause some pushback, 
they'll just get rid of you on any social media platform. Right. But you can't really ban SMTP or the simple mail transfer protocol. Yep. Do I still remember it? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so an email list is great. And at the same time, what a lot of people use those for is like a new age Sears catalog. You're old enough to remember those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it seemed like neat. And this is something else that I learned. And here's some tips for you guys in the audience about branding. Um, I thought, you know, it'd be great. I want to do this stuff. But the problem is writing, you know, a thousand words every day, putting it into an email, formatting it properly takes time. And I'm like, well, I'm not just going to do these and then throw them away. And I learned it from an author, Vinkatesh Rao. You guys know, I talk about him all the time. He did uh, Be Slightly Evil, The Gervais Principle, Tempo. Huge fan of his work. What he did is he wrote his book with his email list. He would send one out every day, like 500 words. And then at the end of it, he took like three months, did all the editing, cleaned it up, and then released it as a book. And I thought, that is amazing. That was like, I used to go see Bill Burr every mm. time he came down to Montreal when I lived there. And I'd watch his his thing, and then three, four months later, his special would come out. And it's the coolest experience, because I'd like, oh, he changed that joke. Oh, he changed that joke. And it's neat to see the process. Or like literally watching infield reports. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that was one of the neatest things I learned. And then the beauty of it is as people start to like your writing, because it's an entertainment thing or infotainment, however you want to work it. In there, if there's a product that you like or something that you like doing, you add that as like a sales pitch at the end. Hey, if you like this, consider this. Mm -hmm. And that's where I first learned uh, Tactical Soap. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Hmm. It's actually it's actually kind of a neat little product. It's um it's soap and they they bill it as it has pheromones in there to make you alpha masculine whatever. <laughs> I kind of take that I lesson. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of take it ironically. I thought it was kind of neat. Oh, thank you for reminding me. By the way, I got to add links going to be in the chat so you guys can check out this channel after you're done here. Hmm. Don't worry, the videos aren't going anywhere. And I think you got your first stream was it Sunday? Technically, well, so Jesus, uh, this will be my third stream on Sunday. So the first one, we got in some private information, so I'll put it behind a locked door. Apparently, people have a problem with that, but you know what? It's for personal privacy reasons. Uh, when we get into touchy subjects, they go behind a locked curtain or behind a curtain with uh, Patreon. So you don't need to pay for Patreon right now. It's like I said, it's just for privacy purposes. Yeah. I'll do the uh, the mentoring on the uh, the live stream, and then it immediately goes into private mode. Oh, dude, that's honestly perfectly reasonable from a safety perspective. And I hate to say it, yeah. but a lot of guys for a lot of this information, like there is some danger to people releasing it. So behind a paywall is I found one of the best mitigation strategies for the risk because trolls never spend a dollar. <laughs> oh, it's They're cheap. Also, the uh, the busybodies who might see it and try and like get the channel brought down or whatever. It's like, this is not for you. Move along. But just having it out of sight, out of mind kind of mitigates that issue altogether. So yeah, I like it. So honestly, yeah. give it a shot. If you like the value, feel free to in on it. I think honestly, from the stuff that I know about you already, and I guess we've kind of off and on known each other for a while now. Till years. Jeez. Yeah. I remember funny. still when I was just like a brand new nobody, like on Reddit yeah. <laughs> talking shit. <laughs> I remember when we were all over on dig and then they screwed up and we were like, all right. Moving over to Reddit now, so, yeah. Oh, you were one of those guys. See, I was on yeah. Reddit like a month before that, so I felt like we were being invaded, even though it wasn't really a me. <laughs> well, I had been on it before as well. It's just, it just was primary was on Dig. Ah, so before that, I was on Plime, if you remember Plime. No, I don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I always find the, the the unattractive friend. I'm the guy covered the grenade and 
ag link aggregate, aggreg whatever. Yeah. Um, what were they saying on this one? What were we just talking about? Uh, email Join the channel, the Patreon. On which? Email lists. Oh, yeah, email lists. So I thought it was neat. And then I did the tactical soap, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I I hate emails where people or sales pitches where guys are schemy about it. So I'm like, you know what? Did up a big thing where I'm like, yeah, pheromones are bull. There's no science behind it. It's completely ridiculous. And if the type of soap you have is the only thing keeping you from getting laid, power to you. But I'm pretty sure we got low-hanging fruit. And then an ad for it at the end. Started selling. I was like, holy crap. All you have to do is not lie to your audience. And if you you know like something, they'll like it too. I've stopped doing it though, because I don't know, I guess you haven't really seen. So this guy, Anthony Johnson, he, uh, he started doing posts on it or advertisements for it where he's in a Lamborghini, but like he was trying for the old spice thing, but he was doing it unironically. So it really turned people off the brand. So I had to stop, wow. which was annoying because I actually do like the soap. I still use the stuff. Hmm. And then there was another guy like you, they were jujitsu buddies and they love coffee. So they decided to make a coffee brand. So they do ground shark coffee. And they're just getting started, so they don't know how to sell to people. I'm like, hey, that's perfect. These are guys that we already talk with in the community. They're already doing pickup and red-pilling each other to the world around them. And they're starting a business. So I'm like, oh, we'll work together because I drink coffee on like 90% of my videos anyway. So let me try yours. And it tasted great. Good. And then the whole time, I'm writing a book. And it's going to be out. The editor just got it. And it was the best thing ever because, like you said, you just keep trying. And heaven forbid, if I ever get Alex Jones, I'll at least have... <laughs> those like couple thousand people that'll know how to reach me. And I can always give updates like, Hey, I'm in purgatory right now. Don't worry. I'll be back. Cause I think coach red pill. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I have. Yeah. Yeah. So he just got his channel banned. Really? He acted like it was really. Yeah. He got it banned. So now he has a new one, like Alonzo Lamas or I can't remember what his name I is. I could have sworn. I just saw him on her harping about, uh, it came up in my suggested for whatever reason I clicked on it. He's, he's saying the coronavirus virus was a, uh, Chinese conspiracy or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice to know he's expanded his themes. You know, well, his original channel had like a couple hundred thousand subscribers. That one got banned. Well, no, now we started it, again. He must have brought it back because it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. It's with his own. Uh, I think it's with his own name now. And he's starting from zero and building oh, I see up, what you're and saying. up to like 10 grand now. I see you now. But it taught, it teaches me a lot too about the brand. Mm -hmm. I think we were talking about this yesterday about uh, subtext. A little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I found it funny because we're you talk to girls and you can't just outright say, hey, I want to sleep with you. You got to kind of plausible deniability. Yeah, plausible yeah. deniability, that kind of stuff. And I thought, what an amazing lesson for the channel, too, and a lesson for people watching it, like the meta. Because he had like women or whores as his thumbnails and that. And of course he got banned. They don't want to see that shit. <laughs> so that's something else to take away from it, too. Oftentimes, just Saying what you're gonna say, but letting the other person fill in the dots is awesome about it. Anyways, I've been running my mouth too much on this. No, I got you. <laughs> it's, it makes sense. Yeah, but I, but that was the good thing about uh, talking with you and having you come online too, because this stuff I'm learning decently good at what I know, learning the things I don't know. But you kind of have a lot of stuff on personal finance that if anybody here's been on the channel for a while, no, I absolutely suck on. I lost money in the housing bubble. Mm. I invested in real estate and banks in 2007. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's I rough. Can't catch a break. Well, so getting back to the lessons learned, I did the same thing. I bought a house in 06. Everybody, ooh, lights. Right. Everybody thought that, uh, oh, yeah, you can't lose money in real estate. Those are assets. No, no. This is something that I got from Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. A lot of people attack it, say he's a fraud. Be mm -hmm. that as it may, 
there are actionable things you can take from that book. One of the biggies was the difference between an asset and liability. Assets create positive uh, cash flow. Liabilities are generally depreciating assets. If the house you live in is not providing positive cash flow, which generally speaking, how can it? You're living in it. Mm -hmm. Then it's a liability because there's no guarantee, as we found out in 06, 07, 08, that it'll ever go up in value. Right. The house that I was in back in 06, 14 years later, it's still 30 grand upside down. Really? Yeah. So I bought it 292 and it's still like right around 260, 265. Maybe it may have gone up in the last couple of months. Man, I got to move yeah. to the States. I haven't seen a house cost 260 since like the early 90s. <laughs> well, you got to remember also the uh, the conversion. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So on that point, that's like a half million dollar home in Canada. <laughs> no, I've just been moving. I've, I've never lived in a not a housing bubble. Toronto's mm. one right now. It's so expensive. They actually had a, a reporter on CBC, our news center, talking about on the news report how she's a journalist that can't afford rent. <laughs> And wow. she has to couch surf. <laughs> and they actually had her on there. Didn't offer a raise, but offered a free promotion. It's like, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, you're doing it for exposure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, personal finance, I, I just fell in love with it in the last uh, three years. So right. I have a friend of mine, Dan, he's actually the one who got me into it through. Uh, he had an in with Schwab. And we had one of the best uh, financial advisors in the country at our local one here in, uh, in the city. Oh. And she just knocked it out of the park, taught me a lot, took me, you know, showed me the ropes. And then I started just kind of learning on my own. Uh, intelligent investor, rule, rule number one investing, uh, reading the, uh, the letters to the investors from uh, Berkshire that uh, Warren Buffett writes every right. year. Everybody should go read those. If you've got the time, start with the most recent one and work your way back over what, 50 years, something like Are that. Are those public or are those for investors? No, they're public. Anybody can read them. There's oh. a. Uh, I should put a link up on my website on the thing uh, that collects them all together. And yeah, please do. Guys, yeah. I love this stuff. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of value investing. I know dividend investing is all the rage right now because it's nice seeing the positive cash flow and the numbers grow. Like uh, Joseph Carlson, Gen X dividend investor. These are guys on YouTube that do dividend investing. In my opinion, you really shouldn't be focusing on that until you're getting closer to retirement age. And this is one of the things we talked about in one of the earlier videos was phases of life. Mm -hmm. When you're younger, you can take on more risk because you've got a longer time horizon until you're going to be retiring. Right. So if you say you bought in right now, you put 10 grand in the market and then tomorrow it takes a major dip and it loses 55% of the, of the value. That's okay. If you've got 30, 40 years until you retire, because it's going to have that time to grow and get back to even and you know go on from there. Uh, the money guy show did a really good uh, breakdown for the different generations for example, the compounding, the effective compounding interest when you're in your 20s is 77 to 1. So if you're, say, you're 20 years old and you put in $1,000, multiply that by 77, and that's what you'll have, you can expect to have on the back end. Is so that taking account inflation or is that just dollar amount? Like that's flat out, one to one. That's raw dollar amount, if okay. I remember right. Don't go, man, go watch their stuff. They got good stuff. I recommend it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, and they break it down by generation. So if you're in your 20s, you can expect to get this kind of return on investment. If you're in your 40s, and then where I'm at, it's roughly a six to one in, uh, ROI. Okay, it's, it, these are course kind of course uh, course numbers. So where you're at in your generation, what you're investing in, that can all impact that. Hmm, fair enough. Yeah, I just but found yeah, it interesting. It is interesting. Like the little things, like you're right about houses. 
Everybody that I first learned to buy a house from told me that it's like an it's like a piggy bank. You put money in, but they were pulling like I owned a house for a year, made two hundred thousand, bought myself a bigger house, two hundred thousand, and then I got into it. Market crashed. I broke even, which yeah. is unheard of in a bubble, but whatever. But it was the only thing I found houses are good for is to be inflation proof. They tend to keep up with the value of the dollar, so it's not like I gain money or lose money, but it's better than putting it in a mattress. Plus, you got a place to live. And then I figure, how does it work for me? I take the interest and the taxes I have to pay on a place. Compare that to what rent would cost. And you basically take away, like, those are just sunk costs. Those are gone no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so long as the buying sunk costs are less than the renting sunk costs, then I'm making money. So long as I make enough to cover the principal of that of that mortgage. Because that's principles like your piggy bank stuff. Yeah. Well, there's other factors too you have to keep in mind as well. With now, are you just doing this with your own house, or are you talking about buying rental property? My own. Uh, I don't have okay. the I don't have the patience for rentals. I hate renters. Right. <laughs> well, something to consider with that is the uh, real estate investment trusts. You know, really? Are you familiar with those? No. Well, keep my I'm Canada, so we have different fundings. Now, but it's just... Well, those in the states who are watching us, consider that if you don't want to invest in real estate by actually buying a house, managing tenants, or paying a management company eight percent of your monthly rent. Mm -hmm. to keep that going because then you also got to cover uh expenses maybe the roof needs replaced or the water heater blew up things like right. that if you don't want to deal with any of that there's real estate investment trusts uh there's different ones that are out there for different markets you've got um elder care you've got uh, uh what are some of the other ones that are big just different markets have different real these trusts they bundle together all these different properties that they focus on for their market segment and then they pass through all the profits to the uh, the investor. So and it's in like state, a mutual fund, but instead of buying of. different company stocks, you're just buying houses with it. They're buying all. They do all the real estate investments. All of their income gets passed through to the uh, the investors. Interesting. Most of the it's the way they do the taxes. So I think they've got to get over ninety percent of the profits have to go to the investors. Right. The gotcha though is that it's uh, it's their non qualified dividends. So you're paying. Whatever you get in dividends from those uh, the REITs go right towards your taxable income for the year. The problem with unqualified dividends is that they tend to be taxed at the highest tax rate that you fall into. Oh, so, so it's treated just like any other income. Yeah, it, it, it raises your, your total income for the year, unqualified dividends, and short-term capital gains. So that, that's the gotcha with taxes. That's one of my biggest fears with a lot of these folks getting into M1 Finance, Robinhood, all these new retail investors who aren't aware of these uh, these tax hits. So especially in the last year or two, what ends up happening is if they're trading in and out of stocks, they're not holding them the requisite amount of time, they're going right. to be paying taxes through the nose for this stuff. So and you can use your, we have RRSPs. You guys have, uh, what's your tax deferred stuff? Roth, IRA, 401k? Oh, yeah. So you, well, there's two. You've got, so the 401k is a, there's two different types of IRAs and 401ks. Right. There's traditional, which lowers your, uh, your taxable income for the year by however much you put into it up to the max. Yeah. But when you take so, it out, it's taxed. It's taxed. So let me give you an example. So uh, Roths are the opposite with a Roth. You pay taxes on it in the here and now, but when you pull the money out later, that money and all of the growth is tax free. So oh yeah. We have those too. Those yeah. are called TFSAs or tax free savings accounts. There you go. So, and this is what gets me every single American. I don't know about Canada, but in America, Every single American can become a millionaire. All it takes is $100, $100 a month. 
the average market rate of return in about 40 years. Hmm. That's all it Fair takes. Fair enough. You do the math on it. You uh, Now, granted, you also got to be mindful of uh, the impact of inflation. A million dollars today isn't what it was when I was a kid. That was a lot of money. Now, it if you're drawing 4% interest, it's only 40 grand a year. Yeah. That's barely middle, uh, middle class now. Well, what's inflation for the states? Here, it's somewhere well, between two and three percent. It's about two to two point two percent. All right. So same well, thing. Yeah. yeah. So every dollar today is worth two percent less next year, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Something else people should keep in mind. Yep. The purchasing power goes down about two percent every year, compounding. This is why in the fifties, a movie theater ticket would have cost 70, 78 cents. Now it's like fifteen dollars. That's <laughs> all that. Yeah. So imagine popcorn could, used to cost a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> So scale that out over the next 40 years. If you're 20 and you're going to be re- trying to retire at 60 or 59 and a half, plan out 2% a year compounding. What's that going to look like for your middle-class lifestyle? So if you're making 50 grand now, do the math. You can estimate where it'll be. So See, that's how is, much, yeah, that's how much you would have to make to have a, to maintain your lifestyle. The stuff is fascinating to me because I'm so, <clears throat> I'm bad at it. Well, not bad, but like I understand the stuff. But the problem is, like in practice, never works out well for me. Mm-hmm. The investment strategy that's worked the best for me is treating me like investing in myself, mm-hmm. getting certifications so I can command more in a salary. Yep. Like the starting the business thing. The one thing I found that's nice is my uh, second university degree. It's twenty four grand because Canada, go figure. Of which the military paid it back in a program called an ILP. And then from there, I got all the tax because I have to pay for it. And then they re- recoup, it, recoup it afterwards. Right. Then what happens is because I spent 24 grand in school, there's a bunch of like tax write-offs that you can do for is that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. So on top of the 24 grand I get back, I get the tax savings on that stuff. And then as soon as I left the military, that allowed me to move into a different job market. It upped my salary like 25% the first year, 35% the second oh, wow. year. Yeah. So for me, I looked at that initial... 24 grand investment returned like three times as much, which is an ROI I've never seen in the stock market. But the thing that's nice about investing the way you're talking about, if I understand it right, so correct me if I'm wrong, like this only works so far and it works at the lower end. Like I can't automatically get another certification and bump 50 grand into a salary forever. It it ceilings off pretty quickly. But then once I'm at that point, being able to take this money to what may only be, I don't know, what's a good return of investment for a lot of the stock stuff? 6% now? Is 10% still that old 2007 dream? No, 10% is about average. But when you factor in inflation, it's like more like 7 to 8. All right. So yeah, that's 7 to 8%. That's something I could have matched early on. But later on, it's like, it's either there or nothing. Right. Boy, I, I messed up that description. <laughs> what was the question? Yeah. No. I see what you're saying though. Yeah, it's you investing in yourself is good upfront early on, but you get a, the return on investment reduces the more you do it. Yeah. So Dang. in my case, like, well put. <laughs> let me give you a quick example. So I'm in IT. I've been doing this for about 23 years now. I just finished my degree, and there's really no point in me getting a master's because I've already got 23 years of experience. Right. The next uh, the next pay band is right around the 25 year mark. Well, by the time I would finish the degree, which would count towards two years of experience, I'll already have my 25 years. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's a perfect opportunity cost. And, yeah. What's, so the, what's the cost and the benefit if you do it as opposed to not doing it? You just did cost benefit analysis and it worked out. Now, if I do do the degree, do do, <laughs> it's going to be because I want the, uh, the, the training, the self-enrichment. Right. 
Yeah. On <laughs> the, uh, yeah. All right. So I am curious now. This uh, I love this username. This this guy's part of my private community and always makes me laugh. Do you believe the inflation figures? I have a bridge in London to sell. First off, it's the Brooklyn Bridge, I thought. It's Secondly, just a bridge to sell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's an American thing. So Bank of Canada, we actually have a neat thing. So we have central banks, same as you guys. But for us, the Bank of Canada is a private company. They call them Crown Corps. Mm-hmm. And that the treasury minister is the sole stockholder, which I think is kind of a neat organization. So the government doesn't own the company, but the government's the only stockholder in there. So they're always the ones that reap the profits, the dividends, whatever. In the States, I don't know if it works like that, does it, with your guys' central bank? It's very similar. So the Federal Reserve is no more federal than Federal Express. It's mm-hmm. not. It's, it's a private bank conglomerate for the most part that the U.S. will appoint people to the board. That's it. So whenever... Uh, so the U.S. government's just the board of, like... We have, yeah. Like, think, like imagine... The, the, I forget the guy's name. He's... Uh, we appoint their leader of the Fed... He's the one who makes monetary policy for the most part. But whenever the Federal Reserve prints U.S. dollars for the for the U.S., mm-hmm. we have to pay interest back on the dollars that they print for us. We're not printing our own money. A private bank is who loans it to us for an interest rate. A lot of people don't know that. So that interest rate then, there's obviously a profit in there. Who gets that? That's the, the private banks that we're borrowing this money from. So what, just the extra, that profit just sits in the bank or are there... St- stakeholders or stockholders obviously you got to pay the salaries of the people who work there but it's the the, the private banks to take that money that interest so this is the problem with inflation when they print more there's no um didn't expect to get into the monetary policy i'm not really that (laughs) much on this all right we'll we'll get get in and out quick (laughs) it's it's just really it's scary when you think about it because there could become a time where we borrow so much money from this bank where we're spending all this these billions of dollars every year on interest Mm -hmm. when if the U.S. was making its own money. That wouldn't be a factor. We'd be saving billions of dollars a year if we were a uh, a hard currency again. For example, it could be gold, it could be whatever. Or we just said, "Screw the Fed. We're going to print our own money." The whole reason that they did that was back in the uh, was from the uh, uh, the Great Depression. The idea was that we need somebody that can that can manage monetary policy that can prevent this from ever happening again. And it's no buckling to public pressure kind of thing. Well, we still had all these crashes over the years, over the decades. Hmm. So obviously it didn't work. So that's one of the things with the government is once they try something, even if it fails, they're just going to keep doing it over and over again. <laughs> so they tried to do it the Federal Reserve way uh, to prevent other major stock market crashes. It failed. So why? Are, my question is, why are we still doing it again? Fair enough. I, I don't. I don't get it. That's funny because that totally influences Canadian monetary policy. It's, our, it's a global thing. Yeah. Yeah. For us, our, our policies are literally designed for if the states goes into recession, how do we protect ourselves? Yeah. Like perfect example, the housing market, 2008, we actually have a few laws on the books that pretty much saved us from that. Hmm. Um, first one is when you have to foreclose on a house, you can't just fire sale it. You actually have to charge it. You have to sell it at what the market rate is. So that way, if you just sell one house for a dollar, it doesn't drop the entire community. Oh, so it keeps things from snowballing, which was neat. It sucks for the banks, but they're like, you know what? You guys make billions. You'll be fine. They complained about it constantly until 2008. Then they were very happy for it. And then the second one was uh, subprimes. Like they basically were banned from any kind of subprime loaning and that. They got so mad Mm -hmm. saying we were going to be set back for decades. We'll never be prime banking. And then they shut up in 2008. But I just found it funny. Then the more I looked into it, the more all of our policies are designed for 
to, to take into account you guys going into recession. And it's because you're yeah. like our trading partner du jour. America's hat. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking right, bud. <laughs> so yeah, all that stuff's kind of neat. And but you're right. I never found it really helped me gain any market savviness learning monetary policy in that. Like, does it does it affect you so much, or are you not worried so much about that ten thousand level stuff? You just work in the trenches, focus on what works, and ignore what doesn't work. My entire entire uh, approach to finance and a lot of things is something I learned in the military. It was called the the keep it simple, stupid principle. Mm -hmm. So the more complicated <laughs> the system is, uh, whether it's investing, whatever, uh, the more complicated it is, the more prone to breakdowns. The harder it is to maintain over the long term. The easier it is to screw it up. So I just I keep it simple. So Roth, the four hundred one k, max out what you can, and uh, go for the low hanging fruit. Warren Buffett kind of says it in a different way. Don't try to jump over six foot hurdles. Find those one foot hurdles and just step over them. Same idea. Dude, this mirrors my pickup career or I guess career, my pickup hobby and game so much. Hmm. <laughs> Don't worry about this convoluted program, whatever. Yeah. Just work on your approaches. Get those right. Like the small victories. That's why I loved uh, fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. M3 mystery method. That was my go to. And I loved it because it was simple. It was like Mega Man, three stages, three phases. It's easy as hell to remember when I'm drunk, because obviously I'm doing night games, so I'm going to be drinking. It was the greatest, greatest thing ever. And like you said, I didn't need half of it, but just by having uh, a system in place, it gave me the confidence just to go and try things. And as long as I had a framework, it didn't really matter. Half the time, I didn't even have to use the stuff, but just knowing it was there was like a comfort. Yeah, it's, it's a well. You gotta be careful with that too. It can be the, uh, it can be like a, a crutch, a safety crutch, you know. True. Actually. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, in the chat, wine more, please. Fellow moderator from the Married Red Pill and frequent guest, Black oh. Shoals models don't apply to ninety-five percent of people, but at some level, you got to know it. Same with national financial policy. What's a Black Shoal? Is this some Americanese? I don't know. Do you know? It sounds familiar, vaguely familiar. I just can't place. I can't place it. I have to Google it. Damn him and his PhD statistician stuff. You and your nerd science there, wine more. <laughs> but I'm with them. Yeah, national financial policy, it's never really helped me too much. It's good to have a kind of a, a, a coarse understanding of it, basics. Mm -hmm. So when they start talking about, well, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is this is what we can expect, you know where things are going to go. Like when they lowered the, uh, the Fed rate, it affected people that had M1 Finance, uh, Robinhood, Ally Bank. They had to lower their savings rates because the Fed made their adjustments. So Robinhood, for example, was going to do a 2% interest uh, savings. Right. When they made those adjustments, they're like, well, shit, now we can't afford it. So they had to lower the rates in, in corresponding to that. Oh, fair enough. So little things like that, those micro calibrations are good to know about so you can kind of stay with the market. But you don't need to know it. You just know that M1 or uh, Robinhood will lower their interest rates. You don't need to oh, really know why. Fair enough. See, it's funny. That works from a branding or starting a business perspective, too, because hmm. that was something I knew. It's like, OK, when you start a business, how do taxes work, all this stuff? And I'm surprised how simple it's set up, but you just have to do a bare minimum of research and some paperwork. Like, for example, I don't know how the states works. It's it's rough where I'm at. Uh, yeah. So here it's pretty straightforward. Um, you don't have to register your company until it makes $30,000 a year. I could have been 20. I have to double check this because we have provincial, like state and federal for us. Right different companies we can do there. 
Then once you do it, the general way you organize it, you can get fancy with this, but at this point you might need a, a business lawyer. You put your money into the company. Company money sits in a pot. And mm -hmm. if you have to buy things, obviously that counts against your income. And then the revenue comes in. At the end of the year, you subtract what you spent versus what you made. That's your profit. Now, as a company, you get taxed through the nose for that. So what you do then is you pay that to yourself as a salary. Mm -hmm. Yes, you get taxed with that as a personal salary, but it's way better than getting taxed for it as a company. So the company makes no money every year, but you as a person can. And then from there, when you learn these things, like you said, for your uh, Roth or our TFSA, you can either pay taxes on it, throwing it into an investment fund. Then you don't have to pay any tax later on for things, or you can use a tax deferment one. If you're just starting out, like for example, my first company didn't make a lot, made enough to register, not enough to... Uh, like the taxes end up costing more than if I just didn't register. So instead, what I would do is you take the, I think it was 3000 and change. I made over top of that threshold, to the mm -hmm. point where you enter a tax bracket, put that in RRSPs or for you guys, the four 401s or Roths. I'm really bad at the investment. I'm just going to say RRSP. Just okay. read that as tax deferred thing. So then what happens is it would push my income below the taxable level. So then I ended up paying no taxes on income that would have been taxed either as a company or taxed as an individual. And then all I have to do is just have less money in my pocket because I put it into an RRSP. You got but you're right. This is the part I love about the finance because you kind of leverage it yep. and you don't need to know a lot into the business part of it. And then things start to run a little smoother. Yep. Or I guess I could also just buy a whole bunch more equipment for the company too, but that's a decision you can make down the line. Yeah, those costs will then... Um... In the U.S., it's a pain in the ass though, because then you got to uh, you got to track its value. It depreciates over time. Stuff like that can affect. It's a it's a pain in the ass. I would recommend just getting a CPA, somebody you trust, a certified professional accountant, mm -hmm. and let them manage your taxes. If you don't, because it's really easy in tax code to get lost in the weeds and really screw yourself up and end up getting audited. No one wants to get audited. I can see that. So, yeah, it's I, I'm not a tax professional. I still use a tax guy, or I'll use uh, TurboTax. So just to keep it simple. Or just treat everything as OPEX, no CAPEX. Yeah. <laughs> that depreciation is instant. <laughs> Don't oh, do that. that, by the way. This is just joking advice. Don't do that. <laughs> and that's one of the things that confused me when I first had the old business was I can depreciate it over time. It takes a small a small tax benefit each year mm -hmm. or just do it all in one year. And then you just don't get any benefit down the road, which and that's what I think I did, actually, because I was expecting to buy new hardware every year. That I'll use that as the uh, the the expenditures. Ah, so which I guess makes sense. So for you, was that like a, a monetary thing, or was that just a, an effort, like too much work to calculate all this stuff on rinky-dink capital expenses? I'd rather just treat it as an operational expense and then be done with it. Or yeah, yeah, it was just again following the keep a simple, stupid process. Why follow? Why track all this stuff and keep it complicated over the years? Mm -hmm. I'll just take the one benefit now. Done. It was just easier for me to main, to maintain long term. Well, that's what I was thinking. Because for my equipment, I mean, I got $1,000 laptop, $2,500 camera, maybe $1,000 altogether in everything else. Just can't remember that number exactly, just ballparking it. But I do want to add one thing, though. Mm. What I did may not have been the fiscally responsible thing to do. You got to run the numbers and see what works for you as an individual. Yeah. Well, so, that's what I was thinking. Because, yeah, I yeah. could run the numbers on this stuff and taken together yeah. $5,000 worth of equipment and capital stuff. If I start doing a depreciation model to it, it might save me $3 a year in taxes. Hmm. At that point, like, is it really worth the effort to do all that? If I was a $5 million a year company, sure. 
could save me a hundred right. grand. That's no chump change. But right now it's such a small level. It makes more sense just to write everything off the instant you buy it. Yeah. We're, we're talking the same language. It's yeah, yeah, it's definitely similar to that. But that's the problem is that, and I guess this isn't really helpful for a lot of guys who want to start a brand or a company because they're not even getting into that. The problem is they don't even. Well, it is important. You need to understand what you're getting yourself into because there's going to be a tax issue. You got to concern yourself with and all that. Yeah. The, the back end business side is what nobody sees. They see the sexy. I'm a business owner. I'm successful. Yeah. I've got income, but there's a lot of back end shit you got to take care of. Otherwise tax man's going to come for you. Mm -hmm. So you got to be mindful of that. Well, that's the thing. Cause I know, I know talk to a fair amount of people in this space. There's a lot that just do the same thing that, uh, do you remember the thought audit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Vaguely. Yeah. 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 All the cam girls, but they didn't know. Didn't didn't any of that tax stuff. And then a bunch of incels no. started reporting them to the IRS. <laughs> I know for a fact, a lot of guys in this space are doing that exact same thing and playing it off. Like they're rich and they're running millions and businesses are so easy, but I guarantee you a lot of them are just hiding from taxes. Yeah. If you did it right, then you'll have taxable income. You got to maintain all that. It's yeah. Bookkeeping is a pain in the ass, but you got to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I did like about school, military, or even just like corporate work. I know because you've done corporate work too. I mean, obviously you do corporate yeah. work, whatever. You get to be good at paperwork and navigating the law, which I think is an underappreciated skill set in yeah. game or in life in general, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, okay. One of the biggest, you just, <laughs> right. one of the biggest things about college is yes, you're going to go and learn, mm-hmm. But if that was really all it was about, all it was about, you would just do in the in the states. The last two years are really where you just do your actual degree. The first two years are your general education requirements. They they call it uh, creating a well-rounded individual. Mm. One of the major goals is to make sure that you can actually sit still, shut up, and do your job. You got to be able to fit into a corporate structure, and that's what that's. It's kind of like screening for people that can do that. Adult babysitting. <laughs> and sort of, it's also uh, a bit conditioning and a bit screening. So that's a big element of higher education is to make sure you can sit down, shut up and do your work and work in a corporate environment. That's, that's one of the major uh, aspects that no one really seems to talk about with uh, higher education. Which is weird because it's not a secret either because the whole higher education thing became a thing because they needed to train people to work in Cause I think, what was it? Agriculture was going down and people were starting to work in factories, get more technical jobs. Mm -hmm. So they needed a way to transition people to that. So you had to go through that extra training. That's why you got your trades programs, your co-op program, and then higher education for the office jobs that were becoming a thing. So it's not like it's a, it's a secret. It's a, it was originally a jobs training funnel. Well, I think that's part why people look down on skilled trades, which is there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, you've got the, the jackasses who are paying six figures for a degree in fine arts or whatever, and then they're making hey. fifteen an hour. <laughs> it's great. I, I really appreciate. I'm the, just joking. Uh, My first degree was graphic design. I drew the oh, no. pirate, not the turtle. <laughs> <laughs> my my point is that you've got people that are getting these these worthless degrees. This is something Aaron Clary talks about. Right. They spend all this money and they get into all this student loan debt, but they're getting degrees that don't have a meaningful ROI. And they wind up working at Starbucks making latte art. Don't be like that. Get a degree that's got a positive return on investment. I forget where I was going with this. But anyways, yeah. Oh, no, that was where you're going with it. It's good. Funny yeah. thing too. So we've been looking into this. Oh, skilled trades. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Skilled trades. Yeah. Yeah. So people, a lot of girls will see a plumber earning $100,000 a year and not think anything of it. But they see a lawyer making forty grand a year with hundred grand of debt 
And they actually treat that as a status thing. So I argue yeah. a lot of these degree monkeys are doing it for Poon. I would say almost everything we do is for that. Oh, guaranteed. It's, it's the underpinning. Getting girls is the underpinnings of civilization. That's, I forget That's why we're not in mud huts right now. Well, I forget who it was that said it. They said if women as a whole said walking on your hands is the most attractive thing you can do right now, I guarantee you tomorrow everything you would see would be guys walking on their hands. There would be walking on your hand competitions. There would be a national league of walking on your hands. That so, would be hilarious. Actually, I'd be hot. I'd be walking on my hands. I'm not going to lie. So it just kind of – the point was that it shows that where our motivations are. So it's – if we weren't attracted to women, we wouldn't have kids. Civilization wouldn't exist, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so they got to pick that, a peacock with the best feathers, and in that case, yeah. it's walking on your hands. Dude, it's what drives me nuts the most about – so in this space, there's a huge resurgence of like the secular tradcon fundamentalist. <laughs> yeah, but oh, don't even get me started with that train wreck. But he's not the only one. There are these guys, and then there's the MGTOW guys, which are not men going their own way, but men who are told to go their own way. Go away. <laughs> mm. The ones that basically aren't MGTOW by choice. They're MGTOW by, uh, by happenstance. And they both have this same message that, like, don't do anything for women. Sex is bad. And I think they're completely missing the point you just made, where, like, mm. women are a biological incentive for us to do things. You got to just accept that. Obviously don't chase it in to the exclusion of anything else. But if you decide to not pursue that, you're leaving a huge amount of your biological motivation on the table. I find. I find that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like just being attractive. And it's something I think we all learn from like our pickup days. Yeah. This stuff worked when you did an approach or you picked up some girl from the bar. And then you notice when you went for your first job interview, it worked there. And then you oh, notice when that. you're trying to push through your project through the PM at work there. Yep. And you're like, oh, I get it. So game is not just about sleeping with girls. Game is about sleeping with life. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded way too stupidly wise. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I would just say it's more it being socially savvy mm. is cross-cultural. It, it applies to everything in life. Guaranteed. Yeah. Social dude, one example right here. I went to uh, Macy's and I was getting a, a suit sized up, which I would not recommend Macy's for suits, but that's another here nor there. <laughs> and just bullshitting with the woman, just talking about the weather. How's your day been? Blah, blah, blah. While they're doing things. She's like, oh, you, you were so nice. Here's 20% off. Nice. Just from BS and with her making small talk. And little things like that happen all the time. All you got to do is just be social and don't do it to get the deals. Do it because being social is what it's all about. Yeah. Oh, it's a good skill. It benefits. Yeah. You could be altruistic and say, you know what? It brightens other people's day when you be interesting to them. You could say it brightens your day because you're getting positive reactions from other people. You can say it's because I want free shit. Like there is no shortage of motivation. It's like working out. Yeah. There is so many benefits you can put to it from any angle you can approach that it just makes no sense not to. Doing it is its own reward, so to speak. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I like the way you put it better. <laughs> but yeah, same thing. I actually got free haircuts five years when I lived in Victoria, when I was in the military from a girl, a plate I actually tried to pick up and she invited me to a birthday party when she was drunk and it ended up crashing and burning, whatever. I actually showed up to her birthday party and then she's like, who the hell are you? So I had to open her all over again. And then right after that point, we ended up being fast friends. Turns out she's like a professional hairdresser, does the conventions, like supermodel stuff. And then she's like, yeah, I'll give you a cut. So I'm getting like military style cuts with this like fancy ass hairdresser. Four years. 
met so many girls through her. She met so many of my guys through me. And she had tons of tattoos, so the sailors loved her. Mm. But it was like, yeah, I actually made really good friends just from doing pickup. Yeah, I got some too. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how the, it, it, the whole transition from it's just the whole thing. It's just, it really is amazing to me how it all kind of it, it unfolds. Dude, it makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have a saying on this. I always talk about uh, women had three generations to teach men how to be men now that they made divorce thing. And you know the whole MRI lines, divorce rape, Karen's taking the kids. I'm like, you guys had three generations to make men out of this, and you failed. And it took a bunch of pickup artists wearing feather boas and aviator goggles to pick up the slack yeah. and do it. So we got it from here. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it comes down to this is like what I was talking about before. Mentorship is what it's all about. That's my mm -hmm. focus on this. And over the last 11 years through doing all this, no less than six dudes have reached out to me privately. It's like, you know, you saved my life. I was going to just end it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, holy shit. It doesn't oh, yeah, get any first one of those you get, man, freaks you out. <laughs> it did. And I didn't know what to do. So it was like, uh, thanks. <laughs> that's, that's my internal monologue, but I didn't know how to react to it. But it, it's it's super serious. And I would not take that lightly. So and I, as when I was in the military, I was an NCO for about 11 years. And I learned a lot through that and mentoring and being the sheepdog of your troops, mm -hmm. keeping them out of trouble and stuff like that. So I've taken those lessons and applied it to life and doing the mentoring I've done over the last, yeah, about 11 years now. Damn. Dude, that actually reminds me. It's my favorite, most rewarding military experience of my life. I was training at fleet school. I was one of the instructors. I was a senior NCM. I don't know what you guys' equivalent would that be for overseas master seaman. And I had the students. Obviously, they did a lot of scrubs. You do all the theater stuff. Like, I you know the first thing they told me is first day of class, wait till somebody screws up anything, take them outside the room just within earshot and chew them out so everybody can hear it and then go back in, don't say another word. And then the class will behave for the rest of the thing. Awesome trick. <laughs> um, but the students, I was always fair with them. I was always super hard. I held them to the best standard. I covered for them when they were trying their best. And I handled it privately. If it's something that he screwed up that I needed to deal with, I took the blame for it. Mm. But at the same time, I expected the best from him. I had such a loyal student base that my boss came in to teach for me one day when I was sick. And he started slagging me in front of him. Oh, this guy's an idiot. I can't believe how disorganized he is. My students kicked him out of the class and one threatened to beat the shit out of him. Mm. I got called while I was throwing up. Like, yeah, you got to come back in. Damn. Like, and they're like, and my senior instructor's like, don't ever get sick again. They just threatened to beat the crap out of Marty. <laughs> I just started laughing. I walk in there and I'm just pale and the guy's just looking. And the one guy is just, I could tell who it was. He's just like, I don't know how you put up with that guy. We're going to buy you a beer after course. <laughs> but yeah. I've never been so proud in my life that I had a bunch of students willing to risk insubordination just to defend somebody talking smack about me. Huh? No, it's good. I mean, it's, it, it, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's just one of those stories, and it's kind of funny. It's same as you. First time I got one of those, thank you, you saved my marriage or you saved my life, like any of those kind of stories. And I remember that moment, and it kind of makes me tear up a little bit. I don't do it in public because you know it's guys don't cry. Yeah. But it's one of those things that really does make more of a reward for this. And I'm glad I took the pay cut from the corporate life to be here. Hmm. And we'll see. Like I said, you're already getting it, so you know. But it's only going to get bigger and better as your channel gets bigger and as your business grows and that. So. Hopefully you're in for a fun ride, man. Well, I personally, I made a vow way back when I started all this. I will never, ever charge for coaching people that do. That's fine. But for me, I know what it was like to be frustrated and not having a mentor. And that frustration is something I'll never forget. So for me, that's why I do this.
is I'm trying to help others who were in the same spot I was in way back when. So how do you vet for time wasters then? Oh my God. Cause that's why I charge. Honestly, at first it was yeah. like a hundred dollars, do what you do and we'll got you. Nobody did anything. People didn't send any field reports in. Like we never talked or anything. And I found once I raised the prices to a certain point, people actually started putting work in cause they were invested. So I wouldn't even know how to do a free one. So, and that's, and it's a, it's a valid point. So when I was doing these classes back down in the uh, uh, college park, so the problem I had was time wasters. You got these guys, they were tourists in the classes. They weren't really there to learn. They were, they were just curious or they thought maybe they'd get something out of it. They weren't doing the work. So eventually what I ended up doing was uh, $20 a head and then just they get it back if they show up. Oh. So, and suddenly interest drop. you know, you, like you said, you screen for the ones that are serious. So, and that worked for a little while. And then I started doing meetups and we would do something similar to that with just a $2 buy-in. If they don't show up, then you keep the money. So they got skin in the game. That's the main thing. People don't value what they don't have to work for. Yeah. That's a life lesson right there. So uh, I think it was Adam, Adam Lyons. He's talking about maybe I, I don't, whoever it was that said it, take your credit. That if you give somebody a car and they just get the car for free, they want it in an auction or they want it in a, a contest. Right. But it's the same car that they've been saving up for. They just bought their, they saved it for five years. They bought their dream car. A week right. later, they win that same car in an, uh, in a contest. Which one of those two cars are they going to value more? Oh, the one they're invested in, obviously. Exactly. And that's that's a life lesson to take away right there. So taking that, applying to it to the course structure is how I did it back when I was doing the mentoring locally. So, hmm. yeah, if I monetize any of this, it's going to be through just the regular YouTube channel thing that they do. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck, good sir. I, I, give, it, I give it six months till people finally, like, <laughs> piss you off with some some of the crap they pull, but I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you actually do pull it through because that is awesome. Well, I've already seen kinder than me at it. I've already seen some of that behind the scenes over on uh, the that the one website, the uh, uh, the TRP Red. Oh, TRP dot Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, they they crab bucket mentality hard. Yeah, I'm not I'm yeah. not a fan of that part of it. It sucks yeah. too because I wanted to have my private community there from Patreon, but. Yeah, I was trying to get the word out, spread the word for the channel. It's like, dude, if you guys need financial uh, help, you know, from a, an introductory standpoint to the stock market, how to get going on investing, hey, this is the pitch for the channel. If you want to learn how to do uh, basic investing advice, if you want to learn how to get started in the stock market, if you need feedback on entrepreneurship, ideas you've got, then stop by. I have the live streams on Sundays. Mondays and Thursdays are finance-based. Sundays are open forum. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's awesome. Do the uh, the feedback. If you've got experiences from Friday and Saturday night you need feedback on, hit me up. Dude, so. at the very least, if you're out picking up Friday, Saturday night, Sunday is the best time ever just to sit back and like focus on your future because you've got 100% focus because you're nursing that hangover. Oof. At least I was back in the day. Yeah, Sitting I, there in a yeah. bathroom reading schoolwork. Oh. Personally, I don't like going out drinking too hard. I two drink limit. For one, I like money, so I'm going to try and keep as much of it as I can. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, being uncalibrated is not necessarily a good thing. So it can get you into trouble as well with, uh, with drama. So oh, that is up. true. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it was my switch was just because I was tired of getting sick off of cheap booze. So I just started drinking expensive booze. Mm. And then, like you said, with your car analogy, I buy an expensive whiskey. I would just sip it and enjoy it. If I was mm. just getting Jack or whatever, I would chug that thing back with Coke and didn't really care. Not realizing that that was going to, pay for it the next day. 
Except for oh. foreign ports. I go pretty hard on those. There's another alternative, too. Hmm. Get the tumbler like you're getting a regular drink. Get some Sprite. Done. No one's the wiser. Put a little lime on it like it's a, a, a rum or something like that. Ooh, somebody's been to a few corporate Christmas parties. So you fit in. You look like you're socializing, but no one's the wiser. Yeah. So. I always did those at work, especially with the whole Me Too fear going around. Yeah. Never took any chances with that. If it was anything co-ed, especially with alcohol. What do they say? Don't shit where you eat. Yeah, don't shit where you eat. And then I remember, uh, do you remember Uncle Vaz? I can never pronounce yeah. his name. Yeah, he has so, a great Corporate Land series where he talks about like how to drink at corporate functions. Oh, shit. I think, yeah, his rule was drink one, sip two, hold three. Hmm. And always leave early, especially because whenever something pops off, it's usually later in the night and you don't want to be around for it. Nothing good ever happened after midnight. Saved my ass, by the way. Yep. 2018 at that uh, Central Florida convention that shall not be named. <laughs> I was there. It was like Ed Lattimore, Rich Cooper, a bunch of guys. And we were having some drinks. And I guess a reporter from the New York Times showed up. Hmm. I guess a couple of the guys, a couple of the grifters were so busy posting stuff about the event on social media and how, how baller they were smoking cigars beside Lambos that they forgot to... Uh, not have the address and the GPS coordinates and the location added onto their Instagrams. So this reporter coming in for a hit piece found it, snuck into the party, and thank God I was there with Ed, like the only other colored guy there. As soon as we saw the reporter, we were already halfway home. <laughs> we watched Friday the 13th. The colored people always go first. We're out of here. But it was that same mentality of as soon as something's about to pop off, I don't want to be here to see any of it. So I got to thank Uncle Vaz. He did. He saved me there, too. <laughs> Well, it goes back to not drinking to excess because then you lose your situational awareness. Yeah. Yeah, also true. Yeah. I was only, I don't think I had a couple that night. For the most part, it was just seeing what the cigar thing was about. Not going to lie. I don't get it. Feels fairly phallic. <laughs> not for me. I'm not a smoker. Never have. Probably never will. Uh, I got friends who only smoke cigars on uh, like Vegas trips and stuff like that. More power mm -hmm. to them. Not my thing. I'll go yeah. with them. I'll have a rum, hang out. There's a really good place up in the, uh, the forum over by... Uh, in uh, Caesars. Okay. You go upstairs. I think it's on the second or third floor. A little, uh, little rum bar. And uh, they got like a walk-in humidor. Oh, really? It's a nice place. It's just, it's not, I'm not going to go smoke. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Smoking. I only ever smoked in foreign ports. That's when I said I go hard. Mm. I basically don't smoke. Not addicted to smoking, whatever. Mm. Put me in a foreign port where I've had like three days of sleep in the last 30. I will drink like a fish. I will smoke and chain smoke a pack of cigarettes. And then the next day, never touch them again for like another year. <laughs> but that was the only time I ever smoked. So I don't smoke now, but I have picked up pipe smoking mm. as like my one little weekly ritual when I was writing, which is kind of neat. I like it better. It's just like for mouthfeel. And I don't know. I think it's like coffee in the morning. You don't even drink it to stay awake anymore. It's just the ritual. <laughs> so much for being an offset seeker or expert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess I kept weak more things there, but I guess we should get back to topic here. Yep. Um, I'll switch back to the business one. Cause I think the last thing I did was about the email lists. And so I had those yeah. and I was surprised they actually made pretty decent money on it. And it didn't cost much to put them in place. Obviously you have to avoid MailChimp. Now, if you don't know, they just, uh, deleted Stephen Molly news account from MailChimp because some Karen was in the, on Twitter complaining about it. Hmm. Oh, dude, it was the weirdest thing ever. It was just one tweet from this random chick saying, do you know you have a white nationalist on your email list programs? MailChimp said a response rate believed. Yeah, don't worry, we deleted his account. And I was like, gone. Damn. He still had his list because you can download your email lists. But hmm. so I'm liking MailerLite because they've never had any of that thing like that before. So 
Don't I'll start it with Mailchimp. I will have to look into that. So but I it never, was neat. Yeah. yeah, and then the little products. I had to stop Tactical Soap, like I said, because of Anthony Spurgeon out on that one. The coffee guys, they're still doing great. And and it was great because if people wanted coffee, hey, here's a Manosphere brand you could totally sign up for, and the coffee's pretty good. Why not? Here's a, here's a bunch of content, and it was just me telling stories about pickup. Like, literally, um, for my opinion openers, when I did the bar, because I'm a talker, obviously. But it's too hard to talk in the bar. So what I would do is I would just put a cigarette in my ear. I didn't smoke. And I'd go out to the smoking lounge and then straight up a conversation there because it's quiet because it's always outside, right? And then I would always just, you know, so busy in conversation, I forgot to smoke. Or if somebody needed to borrow a smoke, they had a reason to tap me on the shoulder. It's like, hey, can I bomb a dart off of you? Or whatever you guys in America say. Darts or cigarettes. Okay. But it was like, it was the equivalent of wearing aviator goggles or a feather boa. It was just something that you had that other people could open a conversation with you if they wanted to. Hmm. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but... Oh, uh, yeah, the email list stuff. And then from there, I just like, okay, well, let's do YouTube now. And so I used the email list to push the YouTube, got me my first subscribers. And then it's just an iterative process. Okay, so I'm here. How do I get to... And I pick some arbitrary goal that's fairly reasonable. And like, how do I get from here to there? Okay, so in this case, maybe I'll buy a nicer camera, put some production value and scripts into it. All right, here, I'll do some live streamings. Then I hit my 4,000 hours and 1,000. A trick I did too for this one is I learned it from the Joe Rogan podcast. You know how he has those clip shows? Yep. So I'm like, all right, so if I'm going to do a live stream, it gets like 50 views, whatever. And over that two-hour period, there's a bunch of things that make sense and sound kind of neat in isolation. Take those, make clips out of them, make a second video of them, and you can second the view on it. And it actually helped me get way more views than I would have been otherwise with way less effort. There's a, a Twitch streamer. I've started watching his YouTube show, uh, his videos. I forget his guy name, Alpha something. Alpha Al Male Strategies or? No, Alpha Gaming. Ah. that's has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Just that's his Twitch. So, or his YouTube channel, Harris uh, something or other. And he's talking about the same thing where if you try to make compilations from Twitch, it's not going to work because it's a different audience for YouTube. There's different uh, styles of content. What works on Twitter, for example, won't work here. Yeah. He's got all that shit mastered. He's got like 300 something thousand subscribers just on you. I think 300,000 on. Uh... Yeah. Either way, it's not chump change, yeah. but no, I like it. There's a yeah. lot of guys I follow that have nothing to do with any of this, but they're good in their particular spaces. So you can learn a lot from them. Well, there's one I, I really like is uh, Sonny Leonard Doozy. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, she's fairly reasonably attractive. So what works for her is <laughs> worth like 90% of the people out there on YouTube. But there are actionable things you can take away from that. And uh, email lists is one of the ones she talked about. Uh, dealing with what you're just talking about, taking a live stream and then chopping it up. There's a, good information. Uh, her content bugs another one, also reasonably attractive. So not necessarily going to be applicable to a lot of folks. Alpha Gaming. Okay, yeah, he's got some. He's got some really good insights. Mm -hmm. um, not th not, um, not that I'm plugging their channels. It's just these are people that I've taken good information from. I'm starting to put in the, uh, starting to implement. Yeah. So and I found the one, and the best part about not looking in your own space for advice and Paula and stuff too, is the same reason that I stopped following almost everybody on Twitter. It's the weirdest thing how we're like lemmings in any type of social media branding space. Yeah. Twitter was horrible for this. Um, I don't even Pat, use it now. Uh, yeah. Pat yeah. Stedman. He's like a wannabe dating coach. It's hard to explain, but he actually did a thing about, he got an enema. And he's like, I got an enema. Ask me everything. Why would you broadcast that? Long story. <laughs> Long story. He's basically a, I can't even get into it. He's just, 
it's as laughable as you think. And you see the guy, it'll make sense. He always talks about he's more in shape than Rolo and stuff. He's never lifted in his life. Finally did a deadlift something. Hmm. But here's the problem then. Somebody will say something outlandish like that. Or um, AJ Cortez, another guy, talked about this Jezebel article about how sun tanning your asshole is a good thing. He's like, oh yeah, this must be healthy. But then that's the problem. He says something so outlandish that all of a sudden it trickles down. And then, you know, Donovan and Rolo and me and everybody's talking about that. And then, so you, what they essentially have is idiots saying outlandish stuff that should drive yeah. everybody's content in that direction. And the one thing that was nice, like you were saying about following Alpha Gaming or uh, the Suzanne, whatever the chick's name was. Uh, Sonny and Leonard Doozy. Yeah, yeah. Sonny Leonard Doozy. Is that if you're in a space with people talking financial investing, you guys aren't following the leader with your content. You have your own path, you have your own content, and you're not influenced so much by maybe there's somebody talking about Bitcoin. I'm not a fan of Bitcoin. I know some yeah. people are, whatever. But you if know what it, I mean? Like where you're like, yeah, yeah. no, I'm not going to follow that. But he's where all the views are going. And so it's in your head. Bitcoin is, uh, it's it's a lot like Tesla. It's pure speculation. Unlike Tesla, it talk cards. So this is one of the concepts that came up with on uh, a while back. It's actually what got me sixty percent last year on uh, in the stock market. Mm -hmm. So are you familiar with Ray Dalio? Yes. So he came up with the concept of uncorrelated diversification. And what it is is when you have this is it's when you hear it, it's like holy shit, this is like common sense. Why doesn't everybody do this? Because they when don't you have it's the real life. Yeah. Well, when you have multiple stocks. They should be in different market segments. This way, there's if any one industry takes a shit, it's not taking your entire portfolio with it. Mm -hmm. Common sense, right? Right. So why isn't everybody doing that? They just buy 50, 60 stocks. They're basically the stock market at this point. So, But it's all financial companies. And so if finance goes down, they go down. Or, it, or I guess even be. something peripheral to that it would be housing and construction or something, I guess. But I see what you're saying, right? Yeah. If you want to diversify, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it uncorrelated diversification for his like his strategy is really probably the, the best way to do it because it protects you from any one industry just tanking your entire portfolio. And then what I ended up doing was with what I called it uh, integrally uncorrelated diversification, same concept standing on the shoulders of giants like him. Right. And it's just, I, you only need about 15 to 20 stocks to really get this, uh, get, get the, uh, the full benefit of what he's doing. And I did that with, uh, it was Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and I just went blank on the other. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and uh, Disney. Google? Disney. Oh, no, you said Alphabet. Yeah. Disney. Disney. So, and each one of these companies is diversified in their own right in different markets. Mm -hmm. So when you buy Disney, you're not just buying a theme park, theme park company. You're buying a cruise ship operator. You're buying one media. Of the, you're buying this giant media conglomerate that's the one of the biggest film distributors in the world. Then you've got all these different movie studios and TV stations rolled into one. Mm -hmm. uh, when you buy Amazon, you're not buying just this giant uh, sales portal. You're buying one of the biggest data collectors now in the world. They rival Facebook and Google for the data yeah. they collect. You're buying this uh, giant cloud company. You're buying the Firebrand, this hardware manufacturer. You're buying different market segments with one or two companies. Yeah. Oh, and, and if you guys don't know, for cloud computing, Amazon is like the biggest. I think they're, they're bigger the than Microsoft even right now, aren't they? Way bigger than Microsoft. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. So you, I love it. I'm buying the shit out of Microsoft right now. They're at all times highs and they are going to pull back a little bit. We're going to see mm -hmm. a market pullback at some point. It's just a matter of when, not if. Just the nature of the game. It goes up and it comes back down and it kind of goes back up again. Now we are at all time highs, but what I see happening is 
So I've used both products. I like Microsoft as far as their, their cloud computing platform. I see it eating into uh, to Amazon's market share considerably. Now, look what just happened this week. Amazon's cloud services went through the roof in, uh, in income. That's what's driving their, their growth. So, yeah, Microsoft or uh, Amazon shot up, I think, 10, 11% this week. Really? And it was all on the backs of their cloud services. Microsoft is going to do the same thing in, my, in, in the not-too-distant future as they eat into AWS's market share. So that, that's what I see happening. Again, this is in my circle of confidence. It's tech. So, and I use cloud stuff every day. I'm being trained to be a cloud guy right now. So, <laughs> the question yeah. is, do your business, do your business liaisons understand what cloud means or do they use it as a noun? <laughs> or do they say cloud services and not piss off? Uh, it's a buzzword a lot of, to a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, who are the guys that keep ranting about that? Gartner. <laughs> Don't ever call it cloud. It's cloud services. All right. Sorry, man. <laughs> but yeah, that's just the point I was trying to get at was that diversification is key, but there's a way to do it that's right. And there's a way to do it that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's all it, like the first section of uh, Intelligent Investor. It all comes down to minimizing risk. That's what diversification should be doing. But then you've got the Warren Buffett side of it and the Charlie Munger, where they say, if you're diversifying for the sake of diversification, it means you're not good at investing. You're trying to limit risk because you're not confident in the investments you made. If you're not confident in those investments, then why are you making them to begin with? That's a fair point. So, but at the same time, yeah, you do want to limit risk as much as possible. Uh, This is why as you get older, What's that? I'm a huge fan of that. The yeah. half of the the strategies from like married red pill where I came from were essentially that building value and reducing risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like even the divorce thing, and that's what I was thinking. Where you were talking about uh, <laughs> the tax implications of starting a business, all that paperwork behind the scenes. If guys take that mentality to their business, they can easily take it towards their marriages and subsequent divorces. Like because you said were you, you were divorced or? Oh yeah, so I was married for a while i've yeah long story short so it was i was a dumbass shouldn't have got married when i did <laughs> and uh ended up having to fire her around 2007 but then the state i lived in we had to be separated for a year and then she ended up moving back in and that reset the clock i think twice actually again i was a dumbass learn from my mistakes so you don't repeat them <laughs> and i don't know what's going on with the autofocus this this panasonic is just fading in and out today oh yeah that's why i always have to switch yeah. mine to manual it always does that yeah, I'll do that next time. Sorry, guys. So yeah, we uh, so the divorce didn't really take effect until 2013. But so was it the, amicable or oh, no. adversarial? But that's the well, thing. It, it think- adversarial divorces. A lot of guys they end up thinking emotionally and they stop thinking about it like dissolving a business and they stop looking at it with that opportunity cost and they fight over stupid things because it's all about winning petty battles. We saw that at the uh, actual divorce court. Oh really? Yeah, the lawyer was telling this woman, "It's like you're, you're not, you don't need to get the house. The house is upside down." She was just hell bent on getting the house. And the lawyer was not getting the house, <laughs> trying to tell him, "You don't want this. It's not good for you. You can't afford it. What, what are you going to do with it if you get it?" And she just wanted it out of spite. This is outside the courtroom when we were waiting to go in. Mm. So those kinds of things, those do that happens. That wasn't really in my case. I was a dumbass because I took on all the debt. I was the one who had the job. I could afford it. Right. Trying to help her out. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, I just want it to be over, that kind of mentality? More or less, yeah. Do you guys have that? We had, every time we had to charge somebody in the military, you did the same thing. You kind of made them, like, we're disappointed in you, scaring them about what the potential punishments were, but just do your time, and then when you get out, we're here for you. And they always confessed. 
because mm -hmm. they always just said the same thing that like, I just want this to be over, make it uncomfortable. And then they'll fight to make it not uncomfortable by completely rolling over and doing all your work for you. I'm assuming the Americans must have something similar with your military justice system. Hmm. Or have you ever had to charge anybody or no, I was, I was lucky. I never had to shoot anybody, charge anybody like that. Did a few counselings. That's about it. People. Just oh, fair enough. Either yeah, being it's just one of those late. things. Yeah. And as, and the funny thing is, so that was part of my Batman origin story. Yes. But my unit, my CEO wanted to get rid of me. So he tried charging me with espionage and a bunch of other crap. Jesus. Yeah. It kind of ran me through the ringers, started doing punishment without due process. The whole works. Those stories that you tell people that they just like, yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> like I'm that, I'm that guy now. But once, cause I had been through so many of these from the other side, from the investigator side of things, I just knew right there, all they're trying to do is make me uncomfortable enough that I say yes to everything they tell me and they'll give me a lesser punishment. And I'm like, no, I didn't do this. I'm not selling crap to the Russians. And so I literally just fought back, fought the law, paid attention to the things, escalated to like court martial stuff. Eventually the whole thing got thrown out and it worked out well. And it was probably my red pilling of my life where I realized that if you don't advocate for yourself and you do it without your ego getting in the way, you're going to get screwed. Hmm. And I was thinking about that when you're divorced, the girl with the underwater house or the financial stuff where you're like, okay, making proper diversifications or not investing in something unless you're confident in it or game. Like if you don't make these approaches and have something in like the whole thing, it just carries over everywhere. And it's just yeah. fascinating when you see life kind of interconnect like that. And I know this sounds a little bit wishy-washy, but yeah, no, it's just patterns. Turns out people aren't that different after all. Yeah. Let's well, talking about forming a business. That's one of the things people don't realize, at least in the U S when you get married, you're not just marrying the other person. You're marrying the state. You're mm -hmm. forming a corporation together. That's how you get all these tax benefits, but it's the only corporation that I know of that will reward the person who breaks the contract with all the, the, the all the assets. doesn't make any sense. That's why for me personally, I don't think it's wise to get married unless you've got a true ironclad prenup. Just, Are those even good that. anymore? Because I haven't looked into them a lot because I never talk go past that, don't get married. But. People say that they're not. It's because they don't do the due diligence to make it sticking, the binding. Mm. Both both uh, parties have to have legal representation when you go through that. And nine times out of ten, when you find out, oh, well, she sued to have this thing thrown out, it's because they didn't do their due diligence. So as long as you're going through and you have the lawyers involved and you're doing all that stuff that you're supposed to do, generally speaking, you should be safe. So, and most people I think watching this aren't going to be mega buck billionaires. They're going to have hundred thousand dollar lawyers, you know, doing a divorce case who can afford to, you know, take all those hits. Yeah. It's for practical, the practical advice I can give, get a prenup and watch your ass. See for me, and maybe you could answer this question. It's something I've asked every time, like a, a purple pill person or a blue pill person or a feminist or whatever has ever brought it up. I always just ask, what do you get in a marriage? You don't autumn already get an LTR. Like, show me where the additional value is that one step forward. And taxes. nobody's been able to answer that. The answer is taxes. That's yeah. it. Well, how much in taxes though? It's going to vary based on your uh, combined income. Huh. See, that's funny. Cause in Canada here, we don't even have that. Hmm. We can, the old lady and I, we're common law married. We just live together. And then the government's like, all right, we're treating you as married anyway. I'm like, all right, fair hmm. enough. But no marriage certificate. It's going to actually make the process of disillusion if and when we ever split up so much easier. Arbitration vices lawyers. I'm not going to get into all the details there, but right. at the end of the day, all we have to do is just file jointly. So to go past that, there's still nothing additional. 
I guess the states is different, so maybe it does make sense there. But no, if you, yeah, if, yeah, if it's an amicable divorce, it can be very simple. But yeah, the thing, if it's a divorce, though, how often are they amicable? Well, that's the thing too. Like everybody says, well, you know, why would you ever plan for divorce, or why you're you're planning for failure? No. Why do you put a seatbelt on? Why do you have car insurance? You're not planning for the inevitable. You're doing it in case something bad happens. Yeah, risk mitigation. Risk mitigation. Now, the other thing is, like you just said, the person you marry is rarely ever the person you divorce. If that was the case, if things, if that was still the person you had married, nothing changed. You wouldn't be in that situation to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah. Died, like that. Uh, I, it was funny. We used to hear this all the time. It was like, I used to be alpha, slowly became beta. And the terms are all messed up, but I get what they're saying. They just they got handpicked. They let themselves go. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's them. Sometimes it's the girl. Sometimes it's, it's both. The guy lets himself go. The girl decides I can do better and tries it out <laughs> for a test run. Dude, I got, yeah, I used to be just five years ago. I was benching 325, squatting in the fours, deadlifting almost five. But then age caught up to me. I'm in my 40s now. I got a bad shoulder. I got a bad back. I can't do any weightlifting that compresses the spine now. I got too much uh, arthritis. So, again, part of that was military. Part of that was just me doing dumbass shit when I was younger. Dude, arthritis, that bugs me so much. I got arthritis because I got hit by a car. Damn, dude. Yeah, in Montreal. Survived the Gulf, went through the Straits of Hormuz, passing by Iran, around Somalia, Djibouti, all that. Nothing, not a scratch. Go to Montreal, first month, almost killed. <laughs> But I've had arthritis in my hand since like my early 30s, which sucks because like you said, it's all of a sudden anything pulling, I can't grip. So I have to use hooks when I'm doing like bent over rows. Oh, the strap and all that? Yeah. Actually, in the chat, there's a guy here and you should probably meet him one day, Drew Bay. I think you can see him in the chat now. Oh, no shit. I've watched his stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. in there. Awesome guy to talk to. He actually got me on a great program, like the time under tension stuff. So I could reduce the weight, still get the same amount of uh, muscular... Uh, training in place and i don't have to wear hooks anymore so he's awesome guy awesome resource i stream with him every now and again hmm. dude if you get it if you guys get a chance to work together like that'd be cool yeah yeah was, um point was fuck yeah. arthritis yeah they all dude yeah <laughs> that's one of the things <laughs> they don't tell you about when you get older is they okay it's in your head yeah things are gonna start changing and that's one of the reasons i got into finance as deeply as i did was I was getting to that point where, okay, I'm about to be 40, did a, you know, an evaluation of my life. What do I need to fix or what needs changing to set myself up for the future? And then as soon as I did, yeah, that's one of the things I'll be doing at some point is uh, the conversion table. table. Yeah. I want to get one. I just don't have any room in the, in the place right now. But you start getting older and there's changes that happen that nobody really tells you about that you're not prepared for. That you see it, you know it's out there but no one really expects it's, it's going to hit them the way it does. Hmm. Arthritis is one of them. We talked about this yesterday, not being able to tell people's ages that are far removed from your own age. Yeah. <laughs> so my boys in high school, so all these people from high school age to like their mid twenties, they all look the same now. I can't tell them apart. <laughs> it's like, this I don't think Chris Hansen's buying yeah. that. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, but people that go out a lot, like when I was going out, I had that party bus I was telling you about. So I was going out all the time in the nightlife scene and uh, going to the college town. When I was active in those communities and around the people, okay, I stayed up to speed. And I was kind of, I could tell. But then it's been a few years and now it's, it's like things have changed. I got rid of the party bus. It was a lot of fun. Oh, and know. man, when I got out of that nightlife scene, it just, I lost, it's like a perishable skill. Being socializing is a perishable skill. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And when you stop doing it, you're going to drop off. I talked about this in the chat on somebody's uh, uh, YouTube channel just this past week. The return. Of, yeah. So anyways, you get older, things change. You got to be prepared for that. Fitness is one of them. So stay working out, but also you got to be mindful of your own limitations. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to navigate around it. It's a hard, it's a tough nut to crack. And also I want to try and go back in the military. I got to cut weight so I can go up and finish by 20. <laughs> so it's right now, World War III starting out. <laughs> I love when somebody serves, yeah. you start getting the saber rattling stuff. You just get an eye roll in return. You're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> That's why I look what Trump did. It's like we had the, uh, it was like a proxy thing, a couple of rocket, rockets. They did it to save face. Okay, done. Dude, I am surprised more people, like whatever, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, I don't really care. It's not my, not my circus, not my monkeys. But the stuff he's doing, it's such obvious, like game theory. I am surprised all these educated people are tripping over themselves to call him an idiot. I love it because he uses Twitter like the cat and the little laser. Follow the bouncing ball. That's all. That's all it is. If you think of it in that perspective, it's like whenever he goes out there and he tweets this dumb shit. That's yeah, just a distraction. That's just. I think he's just doing it just to rile people up for fun. I oh, think he's just an ultimate troll, and he's just getting self entertainment out of it. Yeah, and then I've noticed that, and then in the back end, he'll change a policy. That's something that. Yep. I mean, arguably, the, the few things I've seen make sense. Like, I know he did some changes to the EPA that gave uh, better power where it belonged. Because there's a lot of EPA things that were working against the environment. I don't want to get into that because I'm not following it the closest. But yeah. he made that change after he, like, misspelled a tweet. So nobody focused on that. And everybody focused on this. It was the greatest. Like, he got everybody out of his way so he could just go do his job. And you could argue it was a, job or a bad job. But the fact is that nobody knows what his job is because they're too busy screaming about it. Mm -hmm. Everything else. Tucker Carlson had a uh, behind-the-scenes kind of look at Trump. He did an interview with him. They were at some conference, and the guy was talking to Carlson. He said, so what was it like behind the scenes? He's like, Trump is like the autistic guy who just blurts out stuff that everybody's thinking, but no one wants to say. <laughs> the Bill Burr of politics. <laughs> he is, in a sense, the way he described it. And his, in this example, it was uh, – they did the interview. He's like, why do we have NATO? And it was like, NATO? What the hell? What's he going on about NATO? He's like, weren't they so we could fight the Russians? And he's like, yeah. Well, the USSR is gone. Why do we still have NATO? This is Trump asking these questions to Carlson, just boarding the shit out. He's like, you know what? That's a good question. I don't know. 20 years, nobody thought to ask that. Yeah. So it just everybody's kind of – what I was talking about earlier with the government, once it starts down a path, it very rarely ever changes course until mm -hmm. something catastrophic happens that forces it. So we still have NATO. Okay. If I remember he got everybody to start chipping back into the pot. Yeah, they weren't paying their dues. It, literal dues. They had to pay so much of their GDP and they weren't doing it. We were the only yeah. ones uh, covering that. But the politics aside, it's just it's funny to see how he just blurts this shit out and kind of sees what sticks. And you see this on Twitter all the time. Oh yeah, A/B testing so, everything. That's exactly what it is. That's what, exactly what it is. It's A/B testing in a, in a in a grand scale. Yeah. So I don't think people realize that they're just being taken for for fools in a sense. Yeah, and it, you can Much like Trump, work. you can not like Trump, you can hate his policies, yep. you can love his policies, but you can't say you can't learn something from his technique. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily like Trump, the blowhard guy on the personality, but his financial and political policies, I do like, save for his Second Amendment stance, where he flip-flopped. That I don't like. Oh, that's, you're too into the weeds for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm too busy following Trudeau and his blackface scandals. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we had one of those down in uh, Virginia. Oh, really? Yeah, he was, uh, I forget his name, Northam. 
So I mean, I isn't Virginia too? Isn't that where uh, the the Civil War started? A big part. It's a component of it. Yeah, I don't know. Dude, talk I, about like a charged location for that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so there's a picture, right? You got one guy dressed up as a clan guy, and you got one guy in blackface. And I'll be honest, I don't care which one he is. That's bad. Yeah, not yeah. a good look. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I honestly I don't know which one of the two he was. I didn't follow it too closely. But it's still, either way, it's bad. And they just reelected or elected the guy. He's, uh, I believe, the governor now. Oh yeah, but we reelected Trudeau after his blackface yeah. thing. People just kind of called it an unforced error, like it was a golf game. But here, funny story. It's actually a bit of a personal thing that nobody really—I don't think anybody knows yet. My great grandmother came to Canada from the states on the railroad. She was 13 when they ended slavery, and well, I guess it wouldn't have been on the railroad then. So they ended slavery, and then they moved up to Canada. And it was the coolest thing ever. Well, it's cool, but kind of scary. Like my girl and my mom were hanging out and she's telling the story about how my great grandmother was one year shy of being promoted into the masses house <laughs> until they, and then they ended slavery and then they moved up here. And it's one of those weird things you're like, you didn't expect to hear out of your family history. So I don't know. It just seemed kind of neat. And it made sense why my mom, when she married my dad, got married in a daishiki. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Nothing to do with anything, but I figure since we're talking blackface, why not go all in? <laughs> we were talking to somebody, it was just the other day, family histories and all this. Like the grandparents on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather was Sicilian. My grandmother was Irish. Huh. So back at the turn of the century, this was like the Montague and the Capulets. And I was like, but I just didn't understand it. They were explaining to me, he's like, well, you got to remember too, back then, it's, uh, Sicilians weren't considered white. I remember like, that. I'm like, I, I'd never heard of that. I remember the monkeys. Irish weren't white either. They used to call them like monkeys and stuff, something like that. I, just, I don't know. It's it's out of my scope. But when I heard this, I was like, okay, that kind of explains why they had the, the fighting between the families. Yeah. But then here you are 100 years later. Things have changed. So, but that blew my mind when I heard that. It's like Sicilians aren't, weren't considered white. Yeah, I remember that. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it had something to do with the mafia. I don't know. I'm not good with history either. That's funny. Anyways, we still got half an hour. We're totally yeah, going off the topic here. Yeah. So finance. Uh, what do you guys want to know? Let's see. Let's hit some. Hit us up in the comments. I want to see what they got. All right, chat boys, say some stuff. Let's hear it. And Marty, no more guff from you, buddy. Marty and Sales, another one of the guys in the private community, absolutely hilarious. The problem is he's got a good memory and he hears when I talk, and so he always brings up stuff that he knows bothers me. <laughs> He's the one that keeps calling me coach, which I absolutely hate. Like I like mentor or consultant because coaches are accountable. If you're the coach of the Patriots, the Patriots lose, they fire you. You have to be a good coach. The problem with online spaces when people are calling each other coach is you can't be accountable. Somebody could sign up, do some things with you, call you a coach. You could screw up their life. Hmm. Whatever. See you later. Good luck. And so I don't like that because it kind of, it promises too much, I think. I like mentor. Mentor is yeah. Really, yeah. For mentor, me, I can see working. Yep. I like consultant just because, and I hate to say it, but from a lot of consultants that I know, the first thing that they'll do is set expectations right at the beginning. Like, I am not going to save your company. I am not going to do this. I'm going to offer you this information that you can take or you can leave that'll offer a likely a likelihood of success, but there's no guarantees. And you always have to sign the 19-page sheet saying, okay, if we screw up, it's not your fault. But then it's good because it puts the onus on the person doing the work. It's like, yeah, here, I could help you, but you're going to succeed or fail on your own. You can't use me as a crutch. And so that's why I like that. Sure. Yep. Same as you do with like the two bucks and you get it back if you do the work. 
It's just yeah. another mechanism I found that allows guys to take responsibility for their own lives. But mentor, I like that one too. Just makes me feel too feel good about myself. So I didn't want to use that. <laughs> Start jerking off in front of my own face in the mirror. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so somebody asked the books that I recommend. All right, let me see what we've got here. This is a good one. You can read it. Nope. Dale Carnegie. Oh, the How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a good one. I got a whole list here. This is my little uh, my bookshelf right here. It's a good one. Yeah. If you guys, I'll just start reading them out as I say in case they don't read it. It's a Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah, this is also on Spotify and a bunch of audio services. Yeah. So I definitely should be reading these. That's the thing too with uh with the Four Hour Work Week. Ferriss even admitted he, it's kind of like Kiyosaki. He didn't actually do all of the stuff he talks about in the book. He's presenting mm -hmm. the concepts. Some he did use, some he didn't. Now this is going to go in order of easier to harder. If you want to learn how to get into the stock market, this is the one I would start with. That's rule one by Phil Town. Hey, which awesome. is awesome because rule zero is, is our rule. <laughs> yeah. Rule zero, then rule one. Got it? <laughs> so in the, term of, in, the, in the terms of the stock market, he gets all this from uh, Warren Buffett. And there's one book. It's actually on the way. I don't have it yet. It's called The Snowball from Warren Buffett. Right. But rule one is in reference to the four-hour body. Yeah. Oh, cool. What was I saying? Uh, rule one is don't lose money. Rule two is refer back to rule number one. <laughs> and it, it's, again, risk management. But he also, in rule one investing, goes through the four M's. You got your moat, uh, management, margin of safety, and I just went blank on the fourth one. It's the four L. And I talked about it in one of my videos where it's uh, circle of competence is, the, is one of the other aspects. So I won't dive into it here. Get the book. It's good stuff. It's a great in, um introduction to value investing that builds on the snowball and this book, the intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham. This dude literally wrote the book on how to value invest and do invest investing properly. It's good stuff. Hmm. But uh, quickly here, just one quick pause hacker boy with the $2 to something super chat. Thank you. Dale Carnegie sounds too much like a nice guy. Yes, you're right. But that's not really the value from it. The part I like from it is he treats, he shows you how to treat interactions with people as a value adding experience. Mm -hmm. Too many people now, when they talk to somebody, it's self aggrandizing. It's I'm awesome. And they just keep talking about themselves and it turns other people off. So instead of that, attracting, talking to people more attractively, as in they get something out of the interaction, which then makes them more likely to be positive back and forth. I think it's a, some, it's a good succinct way to put it. And yeah, a lot of the stuff in there is super basic, but I mean, most of these books are about not being unattractive or not being not losing money. Right. So yeah, a lot of guys do need that. And maybe you could have the gift of the gab and the silver tongue and you don't need it, but definitely don't take advice from that on how not to be codependent. Stick with Robert Glover and Manuel Smith for that stuff. Take what you need, skip what you don't. Anyways, I cut you off. Please keep continuing. And the last one I just started is tough. Security Ooh. analysis. That's a it's a it's a big book. Who's the author's there? I saw Samuel or Samuel. Oh, it's uh, Ben, again, Benjamin Graham, uh, David Dodd. You got a forward, but we're Warren Buffett. And it's got Seth. Dude, Seth Klarman is like Warren Buffett 2.0. Really? Seth Klarman averages a 20% annual rate of return. That's impressive. And then you've got, uh, I'm a big fan of also, and I don't have the book here. I got it on Audible. It's called The, uh, the Book That Beats the Market. And it's by Joel Greenblatt. 
he came up with magic magic formula investing. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably end up start going to that because I just I I like systems. It's really simple to follow. It tends to underperform in a boom market like we have right now. So it's actually doing under it's underperforming. Yeah. But, but in a bust market, it bakes up the slack. In the aggregate, it does 20 to 30% a year. Damn. Yeah. So $10,000 in 17 years is $1 million hmm. compounding over that time. 17 years, if you sink in, say, 40 grand, you'll have roughly a fuck ton of money. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. The Dale Carnegie book, that's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a nice primer on social, social adept. And then from Drew, what exactly is security analysis about specifically? Analyzing securities, stocks, bonds, stuff like that. Oh, but I thought it meant security, security. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, no. Securities are your stocks, your bonds. It's things you buy and trade on the stock market. Mm -hmm. I, th I don't think a lot of people understood that. So it, he just dives into the crunchy math of, and the process. And I, dude, this is right now over my, my, over my head. I'm still in the, uh, the intelligent investing kind of mindset. So, but that's good though. I love reading things like research papers. I'm horrible at research. Hmm. And it was the best advice I ever got was just take a research report, read the conclusion, then the abstract then the methodology, and then the, the rest of it. Right. And every time you run into a word, you don't know what it means. Go look that one up. And then as you look that one up, if you see words in there, you don't mean and recursively do that. And if you do this, it's going to take you forever to get through the first research paper, but then you actually get good at reading them. So I don't, I don't mind stuff that's over my head. I love a book where I'm too stupid to read it so I can learn. So uh, one way I'll put it is like this. Think of rule one investing as your bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Intelligent investors would be like getting your master's degree and then security analysis is like getting a PhD. So I'm reading all this shit. So you guys don't have to. <laughs> It's the I train shit, you don't have to. <laughs> it's, the, it's the train to trainer concept. I go out, I learn all the stuff, I collect the information, and then I kind of this is like what, I, what we did in the military. They send me to a class, I learn what I gotta learn, I come back, and then I teach what the, the important bits to the guys in my unit. Dude, you had a good unit. Mine is just so, you did this once, didn't you? Uh, kinda. Well, you're the subject matter expert. Go teach it. What? <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what it is. I that's my my perspective of it. Keep it simple, stupid, use what I can, reject what's useless add what's individually my own. The integrally uncorrelated diversification is my spin on what Ray Dalio had already come up with, uncorrelated diversification. Yeah. Minimizes risk and allows you to kick ass in the stock market. Fair enough. Um, Red Stealth here has one about Airbnbs. I will say, I'll pass this off to you because I'm not the best, but um, a lot of buildings here were doing it and they're cracking down and removing it. So a lot of people have to have six month leases at minimum. It's a hard investment because it's like Uber you're really beholden to the law of your syndicate, your strata, your city, your uh, province, your federal. So it's a bit risky. Yeah, it can make a bunch of money if you live in a place that people want to go. And I use them myself all the time. But as an investment, you really have to pay attention to the laws and kind of keep up to date on it and have a contingency plan. Because if your building shuts down Airbnb rentals, then you got to figure out what to do with that piece of real estate that's not a liquid asset at all what to do with it now because you're just going to be paying two mortgages otherwise on property that you can't move right. into. Uh, Jiku knows what I used to do. I was a teacher briefly way back in the nineties. I loved it. Really? It's like the first mixed martial art. It is. Yeah. I, I used to study it. I did Taekwondo back in the day. And then I was all like, every kid, I'm like, Oh, I'm into Bruce Lee. So I read all the Jiku Do books. I yeah. thought it was absolutely fascinating. I didn't know much about the schools though. It, well, 
we'll talk about that in a second. I wanted to get back to what you're just saying about Airbnb. Oh yeah. I would not invest in a property to do Airbnb. I would have Airbnb. If it's, if I have a property that's not renting out in the interim, I'll throw it up on uh, Airbnb. That's how I would approach it as a value add or a way to mitigate a loss. Hmm. Because as soon as you start dealing with what you're talking about, where you're focused on Airbnb to get revenue, then you're beholden to the laws, the regulations, leases getting changed. Those can really bomb you out on that. And if it's real estate, it's a huge investment. Yep. So yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. It's just, there's too much risk in my opinion. I guess the big reason I don't like real estate is investment. It's got such a capital intensive entry point. Entry, yes, but you can get your cash back really quick. So this as is opposed to what? Like you mean selling the place? Because I've never seen it as oh, a regular no, you, asset. No, you uh, you refinance. You take your capital back out, and it gives you a little bit extra to go and spend for elsewhere. Or oh, you, I see what you mean, taking the equity. Yeah. So you you buy the uh, Stephen Graham talks about this a little bit. You go out, you buy your uh, your real estate. If you rent it out, great. It's going to go up in value, hopefully, and then you refinance down the road. Hopefully, you're not going to eat up all your uh, gains with uh, your refinancing fees. Right. And you have that cash that you can then reinvest elsewhere. Now, the gotcha, so, and also when you re, uh, when you refinance like that, you're not going to take a tax hit because you're not selling the property. So you're getting the capital back out of it in that sense. So it keeps oh. going up in property. The property keeps going up in value, hopefully, through the, uh, the capital appreciation. Through you know the stock, the market just goes up, but you're getting your some of your gains out of it every time you can refinance, and that mm. again gives you capital for future investments. Or this is the one I like. This is one of the uh, I got from uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, Kiyosaki's book. It was through that that I learned about the 1031 exchanges. Okay, what's this? So say you buy a property for a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. It goes up to one hundred and fifty. You sell it. Normally, you would have to pay taxes on the fifty thousand dollars in profit. However, you oh, do you guys have that even if it's your primary residence? Uh, there's there's different tax uh, treatments for your primary residence. Ah, okay. So as an investment property only, we'll just say. Gotcha. So you got you got fifty grand in profit for that year that you're gonna have to claim as taxes, pay taxes on, unless you use that money and buy a larger property. You level up. Right. So now you've got. So you had the the one thousand the hundred thousand dollar property. You sold it for one fifty. You turn around, you save up a little bit extra money on the side. Now you're going to buy a hundred seventy thousand dollar property. You pay no taxes on the fifty thousand dollar gain. You keep doing this every few years. You take out your equity. You buy new properties. You keep rolling this stuff forward. Next thing you know, you got a small uh, real estate empire, and you've never paid taxes on any of it. Another benefit we have here—I don't know if you guys have this—we have something called CMHC, which I think is as close as we get to your Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac thing. It's essentially the government putting insurance on your place. So if you foreclose on it, then I don't remember who gets the money out of it, but it's definitely not me. That always throws like a a 2% surcharge on any property, unless you have a 20% down payment and then those fees are waived. We call it PMI. Ah, okay. Uh, So yeah, so once we get a 20% down payment together for upgrading purposes, as long as it's past that 20% of principal, then we avoid those fees as well. We do the exact same thing. 20% down typically will avoid PMI. Now, if we can just figure out a way to get that 5% real estate payment fee out of there, then you're really making money. I'm not familiar with that. Well, for us, our real estate agents always take uh, five, it's average 5%. Hmm. That's their cut for selling your property. Oh, oh, I'm talking about So if you do private seller, you, you avoid that. Yeah. It's a little hard, though, only because like they have the pipeline, they have the funnel set up really, really well. Well, you they can got- do private, but then it really cuts down your market. So it works well if you're in a big, booming market. 
and people are savvy enough to search for it, but but then yeah. you just got to wait and the property loses its liquidity because it doesn't have that same sales funnel that the real estate market has. So that's what we call it's the uh, the MLS, the multiple the market listing service, I think. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, we got so yeah, we got that one too. Yeah, in order to you have to be licensed and get access and that's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. 25 it's a, good, it's a good scam they got for essentially just running a running a message board. It's eBay. Housing eBay. <laughs> the 5% well, cut. If you uh anybody can access it now thanks to Zillow and Redfin. Oh, really? Yeah. Are those state specific or just anybody? It's national. It may even be international. I'd check it out. Oh, what are they called again? Zillow, Z-I-L-L-O-W, and then Redfin. They give you access to all the MLS properties. Well, look at that. So the whole idea that you need a real estate agent, not really. Not unless you would. Again, it's just like uh, getting these management companies to manage your properties. Yeah. You're, it keeps it simple. It's less shit you got to deal with, but you got to pay for it. Yeah, but they're providing a value, so I get that. Exactly. If, the agent, if the agent was also able to do like the lawyer uh, stuff or the notary stuff, I wouldn't even have a problem with it. It's the fact that all they are is the middleman. Yep. Start making those notaries into real estate agents, then you got a sales pitch, in my opinion. I'm surprised. Well, I think most real estate uh, companies, like when I went through Champion to buy my old house, yeah. they had a, a notary in-house. Yeah, ours, some do, some don't, but you still end up having to pay for it. I think, yeah, yeah. Seller, seller always ends up paying for it. The notary or the lawyer, depending. Notary might be different for you guys because for us, it's just a little seal they stamp and then that's that. It's like two Yeah, bucks. well, they have, they're like nurses. The lawyer is the doctor. They're like the nurse. They can handle a lot of stuff for properties. Okay. They can handle a lot of the paperwork, but for the most part, it's just vouching that things are what they say they are as their primary function. All right. Yeah, we're talking about two different things then. Your, your version of a notary is different from our notary. Oh, really? Yeah. Do we even spell it different? In Montreal, it's uh, A-R-I-E or E-R-I-E for notary. Okay. <laughs> but that's the problem. The last place I sold was in Quebec. So I guess the law is going to be different. They even have like a bienvenue tax and bienvenue is French for welcome. And you're like, why would you have a welcome tax? But then you find out it's just the guy's name who implemented the tax. It's just 2% off the top government tax on any place bought or sold. doesn't matter if it's new or used. And that's literally, it's it. That's on top of everything else you'd already know about. That's interesting. Well, it's like I, just, I just laugh how they named it that. Well, the the Roth guy was named after the guy who uh, came up with the bill. Yeah. Now imagine if Roth had a name like uh, like Profit. <laughs> Doctor Profit made this thing called the Profit Tax. Like I don't think that's Profit. <laughs> yeah. so what was his name? William. William Roth. William Roth of Delaware. Huh. Yep. Of course, Delaware. Oh, Delaware is a great tax haven. They got some good stuff. Jr. <laughs> U.S. You want to uh, incorporate it in Delaware usually. Oh, really? Oh, I've heard about that because they have really good uh, corporate or uh, well, they used to corporate they, tax laws or whatever. Yeah, they used to. They used to. When I did my LLC, I did it through them. Really? Yep. See, that's another neat thing. I didn't know in Canada, you can't do that either. You either register in your province or you can register federally. Hmm. But and I think that's because of Quebec again, because they have a different law. Like they're actually using civil law, not common law. Right. So they have their own set on the books there. But we don't. Like I can't make a company here and have it function in Quebec. I would have to reincorporate another one in Quebec. So that's why a lot of people just do a federal one. Hmm. But oh, then I, that I, one's I, more work than the provincial one. So it's all uh, whatever. So are most of your uh, viewers in Canada or is it a blend of US and uh... everybody? I think actually by the numbers, you know, I could pull it up. Hmm. I'm going to tell you exactly where everybody's from. According to my analytics, 40% of people are from the States. 10% uh, are Canada. And everything else is everything else. You said 40% from the States? 
Yeah, forty percent. Wow, but only ten percent in the uh, Canada. Yeah, so only half of your viewership is uh, North America. You know what? Most American wow. conservatives are Canadian anyway. Gavin McInnes, Stephen Crowder, Lauren Southern, because they've seen all the bullshit that happens with this nationalized stuff. Yeah. All, so, all American conservatives yeah. are Canadian. Didn't you know? <laughs> well, so a friend of mine, she's Canadian. She just got her U S citizenship. Mm-hmm. And she was telling us a story about this guy who was waiting for healthcare up in Canada. He had a bad leg, bad knee. By the time it came around to his turn to get a surgery, his other knee had gone bad from his gate being screwed up. Ah, it's yeah. Like, that's, and that's funny because it was a good system. The socialized medicine. The problem was in the nineties and this happened with the, the police officer union as well in Quebec. Um, that's why they were all wearing camel pants for the longest time. But so they defunded it briefly thinking, okay, we're going to take a, we're going to stop paying into it now. And then in a couple of years, we'll pay the difference and we'll get back to going. So it became underfunded and then they just never chip back in. So that upward curve to meet inflation cut right down. And it's just never mm. gone up past then. So that's the problem in the socialized system. Quality of care can't go down the amount of people can't go down. So the only thing that can go down is the amount of weight. And then on top of that, doctors here don't earn as much in the States. So we'll subsidize people. Quebec was big for this one too. Huge subsidies for doctor education. As soon as they get their degree, they go move to somewhere else where they can actually earn a decent income to pay off their student loans. Yeah. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, that's what happens is you have a system where you have longer wait times because they became underfunded and there's no incentives in place to keep talent here. It's the same thing in the UK. Long yep. Oh, and on top of that, we were going to start importing doctors from elsewhere, but we didn't have a good communication between the doctor certification authorities, the whatever our version of the APA is, and the government. So the government said immigration will bring doctors here, but they weren't certifying the doctors here. So you end up with doctors that move to this country and end up driving cabs. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So our system is definitely like, it just wasn't well thought out. And then as soon as somebody rocked the boat even a little bit, it's caused problems that have rippled through the system. Well, it's like they say, you know, the path to hell is paved in good intentions. Yeah, so. pretty much. But And that's the funny thing, because most guys who are young aren't using it. The people that are using it are women and old people and infants. They're the ones that get most of the problems out of this. Guys are just kind of like, whatever. It can be screwed up because I'm not going to end up hurting myself till, like you said, I'm in my 40s. And then I actually have to worry about it. I feel attacked by that. No, don't at all. That's what. That's why Stephen Crowder's like, well, I'm 38, time to move. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? I guess so. I but he, he, they were all from Montreal too, so. All right. I thought he was younger than that, like his early 30s. I don't even know. Yeah. All I know is he's got a really whiny voice and not nearly as funny as he thinks he is, but. I still like his stuff sometimes. We'll see. I think it's because I'm also like, ugh, I shouldn't really say this, but I'm not really a conservative, at least in the American way. Hmm. So. A lot of the stuff that they're doing is kind of crowd service. Mm. I didn't like it in Star Wars, and I don't like it in you know political commentary either. The politics or just util- uh, utopianism? No, just uh, like the the talk, the political wonks and pundits, even the entertainment ones. Oh. A lot of their stuff isn't humor; it's just yeah. fan service. It's another reason I don't like the Daily Show anymore either. They're trying to do the liberal version of that, but all they're doing is just rallying up the rebels. Look how bad GOP is, and I'm like, yeah, but could you be funny about it? <laughs> I just get the same impression. That's like everything is going on politically right now in the states. It's all orange man bad. Okay, great. You don't like Trump. I get it. What are your actual policies? What do you What do you have to offer that's different? Crickets. Oh, I, 
Nothing. Yeah, I, I don't know the alternative. Uh, I don't know what the left's political platform is right now, other than they hate Trump. <laughs> That's it, dude. I don't know what Canada's political platform is, other than they hate Trump. It was the weirdest thing watching our debates, and it turned into a whole red man, orange man, bad like summit. Hmm. It was the weirdest thing. And then we have a guy here, Mad Max. He's kind of he's like Trump minus the uh, bombasticness. He's just like, hey, immigration's a little bit high. We should maybe bring it down. Then they shouted him down as a Nazi, and that was it. I'm like, all right, fair enough. But I mean, yeah. At that point, I just walk away. All I wanted was for the entertainment side of things to be entertaining, and I'm not getting that either. So at this point, I'm just going to watch Minecraft Let's Plays. I don't care. <laughs> Learn a bit about branding. <laughs> there's, there's so much content on YouTube right now. It's it's really tough to get a foothold. It is. Well, you got to pick your niches, right? I guess we only got another five minutes here. We'll stop rambling about YouTube. Um, we'll end this off. So oh. your website, I post in the yeah. chat. I'll put it in there again. I'm going to add it to the description when we're done here. Okay. Da -da, red pill of finance. And then if they want to catch me streaming... It's uh, let me go to the live. I'll just drop in the link really quick. Yeah, this is the part where you do all the plugging every way they can find you and reach you if they're interested. Every platform, all of it. All right, Great. and remember, a lot of these guys are going to be listening to this on audio on Spotify and that, so say it as well. Um, uh, if you guys don't know, we're on anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, uh, what's the Google one, Google Play. And then a couple random podcast services I've never even heard of before. So if you're on one of those obscure ones, you'll probably see us there too. All right. So you've got me on the Red Pill of Finance on YouTube. And then you've got, I'll drop this in the chat here for you as well. So you have the link. This is where I do the streaming, which is redpillfinance.live through Streamlabs. Uh, I, I like the system. It works. It's not perfect. And then those streams go to YouTube as well. So if you just want a one-stop shop, everything is through the Red Pill of Finance on YouTube. So I've got the Discord server. You can hit me up there in chat. I'm on there most evenings. Also, when I do the live streams, I'm on there. I can list you guys in my – I can hear you in the mic or in the, uh, the the headset. Yeah. So you can actually talk to me on the live streams. Oh, that's kind of neat. So, yeah. So that helps out if you can't chat or if you're doing other stuff. Which is awesome. All right. So there you guys have heard it. Go check it out. See if you like what you see. It's going to be awesome. We're going to see so much more of you in here. I want to have you back. Yeah. See about uh, getting you and Rich together. I wouldn't mind seeing you guys butt heads on finance stuff here. You're probably the two smartest investor types I know. So it'll okay. be good to see that talk shop. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right. On that note, you guys, it's going to be Rich Cooper's channel today. Rule zero in half an hour. I'm going to go grab some breakfast hmm. and 